Welcome to episode 32 of Chin Music, it's a podcast presented by Fangraphs from Coolish to Cabo, Illinois, where fall has arrived. I'm Kevin Goldstein, and joining me this week in the co-host chair is someone I've known for a very long time. Uh, he covers baseball and something called college football, which we're not going to get into because it's a really <laughs> stupid sport for uh, the, the fine folks at NBC, NBC Sports, and joining us from his Absolutely luxurious accommodations in the thriving metropolis of Shelton, Washington. It's one of the sweethearts of the industry, Christopher Crawford. Chris, how are you, man? I'm doing really well. I'm honored to be on your podcast. It's funny, we were talking a little bit before. Uh, Kevin informed me that there are 9,834 people in this town, and I think I've met 9,832 of them. But my neighbor is not one of them. Like The, the next door neighbor <laughs> is the one dude that I haven't seen. But I think I've met the other 9,833 people in this town. Are you sure someone's there at the neighbor house? No, no, because See? you don't well, even know. I hear a I hear a motorcycle at about four o'clock in the flipping morning every day, and I assume it's him, just because like who else could it be? Because I I I live kind of near Lake, and everything's fairly spread out, but. I think it's him that's leaving at four o'clock in the morning on the loudest flipping motorcycle in the entire world. But just shout out to people who ride motorcycles at four o'clock in the morning. You're truly um, helping society become a better place. But um, yeah, that's the only person I think in this town I haven't met is this but, guy. And I, you, I just, you've never even seen this person? No, I have not actually seen this person. And I'm staring at his house right now. I mean, it's uh, it's a fine house, you know. I, I, I put the market estimate at about 175, 200 because that's just how expensive stuff is in this stupid state. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm no actual proof of him existing outside of the motorcycle noise. <laughs> so uh, we'll talk about baseball because that's yeah. what we do on the podcast. Sure. Uh, our special guest this week is Jesse Sanchez. We'll talk to him. We've already talked to him. We, we're, we're always transparent. We've done that one already. He's in the can yeah. of MLB.com talking about the wild world of international scouting uh, present and future uh, with He's the pandemic. So He's the best. If you don't know yeah. Jesse, you should. Um, and then we'll get into our musical guest, Gorilla Ghost. We got hip-hop, folks. I asked for it. We got it. We'll nice. read some of your emails, moment of culture, all that kind of stuff. Before we get started real quick, a quick shout out to Lily. We know what you're going through and we hope your day ends up better than it's going right now. You ready to talk about baseball, Chris? Yeah, I'm ready. That's, that sounds like a lot of fun. So last week, uh, Joe Sheehan and I talked more about the American League playoff races than the National League playoff races. And one of the reasons we decided that, that that's what um, that's where kind of the national media was as well was because the St. Louis Cardinals are boring. 
And that's not maybe not the nicest thing in the world. And they actually, I mean, you know, people got mad when I wrote that as well, saying, hey, man, it's the best defensive team in baseball. And it certainly may, might be that one of them. And yeah, they play really well. And But, the, the, you know, the Blue Jays have like swag and jackets and, and, sure. and things like that. <laughs> At the same time as we record this, um, you know, the Cardinals have won 11 in a row. Um, or is it 10 in a row? I, I, it's already, 11 already now. Made pick. Good. It's 11 <laughs> yeah. now. Um, they'll be going for the sweep against the Brewers um, as we as we finish this thing up. Um, you know, they have gone from maybe kind of in the wild card race to, uh, having a lead in the wild card race to now having, a, you know, a commanding lead. And, and, uh, you know, if you go by the fan graph playoffs odds, which I do believe in, you know, a, a more than 90% chance of, of being that second wild card. Um, it's funny because if you add this all up, like you add up their kind of, um, you know, frankly, mediocre first half and where they are now. They're a little bit over 500, which is kind of where you maybe thought they would be heading into the year. It's just happened in a very different way. It is like, so we had, uh, a, I did a pod, I do a podcast every uh, Tuesday and Wednesday called Circling the Bases. And I had my buddy Drew Silva on, who's a big St. Louis fan. And we talked a lot about St. Louis pizza. And I do want to get your thoughts on St. Louis pizza before this podcast comes to an end. Um, but uh, well, he basically said they were done. They were, they were, they, there was absolutely no chance that they were going to have a chance at the postseason, and we just kind of moved on from it. Like they've gone from being not really in this thing to being uh, a fringe contender to running away with this thing. And you know, you can talk about whether how much credit are you going to give the Cardinals to how much this has to do with the fact that the Padres have imploded as bad as I've seen a team implode in quite some time. I'm getting California Angels 1995 memories from that. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's partially because, you know, I grew up a Mariner fan. And I, I, that that Cardinal team, uh, that Angel team, thank you very much. That was a very important thing. You kind of helped save baseball in Seattle by you guys being that bad in September. But it's also, the Cardinals have been really, really good. Like, this is a team now with, and I keep going back to Tyler O'Neill and looking at his baseball savant page because it is objectively hilarious to look at. Like looking at this guy having all of this red and then these two big blue things, it's almost like looking at a Houston map of voting, like or a Texas map of voting. <laughs> and there's like these two blue, th big blue areas with the strikeouts and the whip percentage. And then still, despite being in like the bottom 3% of strikeouts, making so much flipping hard contact, that he's in the 80th percentile of expected batting average. Like that shouldn't be possible, Kevin. Yeah. He hits balls so hard. He's so strong. And, and you know, I, I wrote about O'Neill this week and, and, you know, one of the things that really changed for him in the second half is the approach. Right. Um, you know, he, in the month of May, he drew two walks in the month of May. He drew two walks. Um, and in the last two months he's, he's drawn like 20 something and, and he's, he's clearly, you know, putting himself into much better counts and get, and, you know, swinging at better pitches. It's much better swing decisions, which is helping lead to his kind of breakout. But um, it looks like they have a star on their hands in O'Neill. And then, you know, Paul Goldschmidt has kind of turned into prime Paul Goldschmidt again, suddenly. Yeah. Um, and then Adam Wainwright's gone from this guy who, like, I, if you told me going into the year that this was his last year, I'd go, yeah, maybe. If you also told me he's going to pitch six more years as a, as a solid five, six inning back end starter, I'd go, yeah, sure. I get it. Um, but no one thought he'd be this. Like he's no. Been, I mean, he's going to get down ballot Cy Young votes at this point. Yeah. And he's going to throw 200 innings. Like 
yeah that's the, that's the thing man to me like getting 200 innings from a the baseball version of an octogenarian is like that isn't that is an insane number and he has a huge part to do with this it's one of the reasons too that like i think if the cardinals like can get into the postseason they're they're either going to get swept or they're going to make this big run i they kind of remind me of that colorado rocky team and i can't remember what year it is that went to the World Series after sure. winning like 20 games in a row or something like that. And then, of course, the the most controversial, that slide at home plate, Matt Holliday. I, I don't think he was safe, but I, I don't think he ever touched home plate. But it's, <laughs> it's not his year or they're there. But but yeah, like they're getting like then Nolan Arenado, like the, the numbers aren't spectacular, but he's still a well above average player. They're getting contributions from like Harrison Bader. Harrison Bader has been a player that I have like had so much of a love hate relationship because he frustrates the heck out of me. The defense has always been there, but like watching this guy go from looking like, and right now he's looking like a a solid offensive player, but he goes through these spurts. Like it's a weird ass team, but it's a team that I could see like losing 11 to three to the Dodgers in that wild card game or advancing to the world series and giving a team like, Tampa Bay or Houston a run for their money. It's such a weird baseball team. And and kind of a, an underrated change um, that none of people I think are talking about is is the benching of Paul DeJong for Edmundo Sosa at shortstop. Yes. And, and I think the feeling was like, uh, you know, if, 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 you know, if, if DeJong's not going to hit, like Edmundo probably won't either, but he's a way better defender. Let's just do this. Um, and then Edmundo has taken off. And if you, you know, if you, track Edmundo over the years like he's gone from a guy who was low power to actually having like I think it's like 55 raw at this mm. point like his 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 just pure power has kind of grown a grade and a half probably in the last three years and he's hitting like he's since he was put into that everyday shortstop position he's slugging over 500 it's kind of shocking if anything and I think that's another uh, massively important move and it, like it also like, it improves the defense and all of a sudden it, you know if you're going to throw out guys like Wainwright, Lester, Hap, all these dudes who are who need a defense behind them. You know, they're not going. They're not going to. None of those guys are going to show up and strike out thirteen that day. No. Um, you know, to have a, a left side of Arenado and Edmundo Sosa is is pretty comforting. Yeah, that it, I mean, because like you said, and I'm glad you brought up Lester, and uh, you didn't bring up J. A. Hap, but like I admire the Cardinals, and they the Braves did something kind of similar, in my opinion, too, where they. There seems to be this idea in baseball to me that you either have to be in full rebuild mode or absolutely going for it. And you Mm -hmm. can't do a combination of both. And I think the Cardinals and Braves and both of these teams look like they're heading to the postseason did something where they, you know, if you want to call it hedging, I guess, but that seems more of an insult than it should be. Like they got a couple of guys who could help uh, them at the very least eat innings for them over the final end of the season. But have done a pretty solid job for the most part, especially Lester. I saw that he got his 200th win. It seems like he's picked up like 195 of these like over the last yeah. month for the Cardinals. He's been, I mean, he is. It's, he's looked like the old Lester. I talked about this actually on the other podcast. A fun story about John Lester is, is that he dunked on me in high school. Normally I'm getting dunked on on Twitter, but John Lester actually dunked on me in a summer league high school basketball game, <laughs> which like watching him pitch, it's like, 
he doesn't exactly look like the most athletic guys. All of us have made jokes about like his uh, his lack of a pickoff move and stuff like that. But he was actually a really good high school basketball player and dunked pretty hard on me. Now, I was nowhere near like the ability to block. It just so happens that I was trying to take a charge and instead he just made me look like an absolute idiot. But that's a, uh, that was, I knew I was going to be working in the baseball industry after John Lester dunked on me in his summer league game. But, but <laughs> that was a digression that uh, I hope you uh, guys enjoyed, but like I admired that the Cardinals and the Braves made these kind of mini moves to make them better without destroying their farm system, mm-hmm. but also giving their fans a little bit of hope for something better. I always have admired franchises who did that. I think it's, I, I do think it's a real challenge. I've always thought like, um, like if you're, if you're going to try to do both of those things, like you're going to do both of them halfway. And sure. you're right. I mean, but the Cardinals have done a really good job and absolutely. Um, I, I just wanted to talk about them because we just kind of said, yeah, they're boring. Let's move on. And, but they continue <laughs> to, they, they haven't lost since we said that either. And all of a sudden they're, they're very exciting. Um, and St. Louis pizza is really good. I like St. Louis pizza. I was just about to ask. Yeah. I, I, I have not tried it. Uh, so, thin little, little world. like super super thin crispy crust. Yeah, yeah. That the cracker crust is the one thing that kind of appeals to me. It's the Provel cheese thing. Like having that described to me about what exactly that was. <laughs> it's not really cheese, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I mean that is not like the most um, appealing uh, discussion. It's funny. I had uh, during my podcast, I had a, a running thing on it because. So NBC Sports Edge, formerly Rota World, when we were Rota World, like 95% of the, the staff started from St. Louis. So it was a topic oh, okay. that – and uh, so I went to Scranton for an NBC Sports meeting, and I was talking to Drew about it. And I was we were talking about pizza and whether we liked the thick or, uh, the Chicago style or the New York style. And so I just asked him, is there a St. Louis style of pizza? Hell and he yeah. gave me a look, and he's like – it's that look where like the friend is going to be like, okay – I enjoyed this, but I know that you're going to be grossed the hell out by this. <laughs> <laughs> and so he described it. And, um, you know, it, just describing it was fine. But actually looking up Provel has made me very – if I'm ever in St. Louis, I think I have to try it just because I've made it such a thing You now. do have to try it. And, 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 yeah. and you know, speaking of someone who, who you know, came of age in Chicago and lived in the, in the city of Chicago for a quarter sure. century, considers what Chicago – uh, Chicago deep dish pizza is an absolute abomination. Yeah, I mean, like it's just it's it's a piece of wallboard with a pound of cheese on it. It's the worst. It's the worst garbage in the world. It is like so. I've I've had it a few times, and Chicago is my favorite city. I, I lived in San Diego, which was my second favorite city, and I think just living there actually took it away. But Chicago is my favorite place to visit, so I had to do the Giordano's, and like. You know, I appreciated that, like the the sausage on top of it was good, and and yeah, that sure. type of stuff. But like the the idea of it being pizza is just it's horrible. So it's, it's so hard. It's just horrible and unappetizing. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't stand it. I talked to Keith Law about this on when uh, when I had him on the podcast to ask him about St. Louis pizza, and I think it'll come to absolutely no one shocked that Keith was absolutely a no go on St. Louis pizza being one of the pickier. Uh, Pick your eaters is probably the nice way to put it. I love yeah, that. Let's, let's, let's stick yeah, with that. Stick with that. But uh, I asked him uh, if he uh, what his thoughts were on uh, Chicago pizza, and his only words were, I've had it before, which probably <laughs> speaks, to, <laughs> speaks to what he actually feels about it. 
So uh, let's, let's let's cross over leagues into the American League. I was going to say the junior circuit. I don't even know if it's true. I think <laughs> I, I always get the senior circuit thing wrong. But um, the Red Sox have won seven in a row all of a sudden. They they seem like they were floundering. Um, they've won seven in a row. Uh, I, I It has been learned today that if they want to, they, they can wear the yellow jerseys in the postseason. Oh, um, the Yankees have won three in a row. And Toronto has... Um, still playing well, but cooled off a little bit. I mean, also playing in Tampa can cool most people off. Uh, but you know, all of a sudden, if it ended today, uh, we would have a Red Sox Yankees wildcard game in Boston. And all of a sudden the Blue Jays are on the outside looking in. Um, I will let you address your Mariners in a second, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of shocked. I, I thought like Boston between kind of seeming like they were over their head in the first place. And then there, um, you know, we talked about a few episodes ago with, with Julian McWilliams, their, uh, you know, kind of team altering COVID outbreak. Um, right. I thought this was it. I thought, you know, this is going to come down to the, to the Yankees and the Reds and the, and the Blue Jays rather. Um, but they've gotten hot the last time they're hitting the hell out of the ball. Uh, right now, I mean, do you think this is sustainable? Not particularly. Like, Still I'll, a little I'll, nervous about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say this, like. They do get – I do I, – in the postseason, there will be a team that I pick against. I, I just don't believe – it's kind of weird this year. I was I was talking about this on Twitter last night that I saw Chris Flexen was fifth in the standings for qualified ERA. And it's mainly because – 3.56 ERA is not bad, but it's mainly because nobody has stayed nobody healthy has enough this innings, year. right. Nope, yeah, nobody has enough innings. It has been a, just a bizarre – year in terms of injuries for the American League and then some guys who just haven't pitched all that well but it's not going to be I think this year about like like having Garrett Cole is a big advantage for the New York Yankees because that's pretty much like the one like ace guy that I'm really trusting all due respect to a healthy Lance Lynn and all of and Lucas Giolito who I just love um but like that's the one like ace that's gonna make a difference I don't think starting pitching is going to matter as much in this postseason in terms of like having that dominating guy, but you look at it, they get these three games against the Yankees and you've got, uh, you know, friendly pitching matchups after the the Garrett Cole start on Friday, you're facing Nestor Cortez and Jordan Montgomery, certainly winnable games. And you got three against Baltimore and three against Washington. And if you don't make the pace postseason with that schedule, you didn't deserve to get in in the first place. Cause that's, there's 10 pounds of crap in a five pound bag. And then it's like seven and a half pounds of pipe crap in a five pound bag to that you're finishing off with that schedule. But like, I just, you look at that team and it's, if you took the rosters of the Red Sox, the Yankees and the Blue Jays, like I'm ranking the Yankees and Blue Jays, like a good notch above the Red Sox, but they're playing well right now and they're taking advantage of their schedule. And I, I guess they're going to the postseason. It's weird. So we would we would be remiss to not talk about the Seattle Mariners. Sure, um, you are, as we said, you are in Shelton, Washington, which you said <laughs> is about about forty five minutes away from Seattle. Give or take. Give, Give or, take. or take. You are a Seattle Mariners fan. Um, the Seattle Mariners are. I don't know. I, I guess they they have like some claim to to being the most frustrated fan base. They haven't been to the postseason <laughs> since two thousand one. Two thousand one. You're um, at graduated high school. Yeah, the yeah, the year I turned thirty-two, and um, <laughs> but you know, it's it's that's a long time. Sure, um, they're kind of hot again. They've won four in a row. Yep, 
They are uh, two and a half out of the wild card. Their biggest problem is, of course, is they have to outplay two teams to get into the wild card. Right. Uh, it's not as much as the two and a half matters. So does the fact that they're they have to they have to outplay, you know, the the Jays by half a game and then the Yankees by two and a half or or somehow Boston by four and a half. But uh, you know that's their biggest problem. But you know I then I wrote this and I talked about this in April that this team's sneaky good. I don't think it's a playoff team, but they're sneaky good. Like they have, they have some, they have some good things going on. They're 83 and 69. They're going to finish the year with a winning record. Um, I, they're not going to make the playoffs. And, and even when people were getting upset and I, you and I had a Twitter exchange, you know, when they like the Graveman trade, they weren't going to make the playoffs then either. No. Um, but it's okay to get excited about them. Like, but beyond that, are you optimistic that you will, enter the 2022 season thinking this team is a real shot at a playoff spot? Um, no. And some of that is based on um, history, like the the fact that it's been 20 years. I can't help but ignore that. Uh, some of that is based on the fact that I'm still not exactly sure how many of these guys are regulars on a postseason team. Like mm-hmm. Mitch Haniger is, is a nice player, a flawed player, but a, a nice player. Kyle Seeger one of the most underrated uh, Seattle Mariners of all time, in my opinion. Don't even know if he's going to be back. Uh, Ty France can hit a, a guy I've believed in for a long time offensively. Sure. I just don't know where he's going to be playing defensively. Like he, I, he, you, the idea of him as a second baseman was kind of laughable in the first place, and that's just been kind of moved on. Um, Abraham Toro, who you're very familiar with, like he got off to as as good of a start as you could possibly get off to when he got traded to Seattle and was hitting well with Houston before that trade, but it has really struggled as of late. I, mm-hmm. I think he could be a regular. I, I think ideally he's a third base instead of second base. For sure. And a and non-star then, regular, but a regular. Yeah, a regular. Yeah, absolutely. If, if not, a very nice complimentary bat off the bench type of guy who could play, you know, the, in that type of role. Um, but then if you look at the outfield, Kyle Lewis, super talented, can never count on him to be healthy. Jared Kelnick looks like he's picking some stuff up a, a long way still to go. I think before I'm going to be I, like, I believe in him long-term, but if you're asking me if he's a 2022 contributor, I'm not so sure. And then the starting pitching, like if you're asking me to have Chris Flexen be the ace of the staff, right? I'm not, I, I just can't do that. I believe Julio Rodriguez is going to be a superstar. I believe that Emerson Hancock and George Kirby are going to be very, very good mid rotation starters. Noel de Marte is a few years away. He has a chance to be a very, Super very good shortstop. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But the these are guys that if you're counting on them for 2022, I'm not sure you can do it. They have said the right things that they are going to be much more open to spending money, and there is a good chance to make this roster better. Like, and they have absolutely no reason not to spend money. They have they have moved these goalposts enough. I don't know. If you remember this, but like Jerry DePoto, when this rebuild started and this rebuild actually started, I'm not going to take credit for it, but I wrote an article for Vice called The Mariners Are Screwed. And I picked that title, by the way. But it was because (laughs) that team, and you know this, Kevin, they were a team that had people like Nelson Cruz and Robinson Cano, uh, talented players, but were never close to that level of actually competing with what Houston and Oakland were doing at that time or for a postseason, and they had among, if not the worst farm systems in baseball. So they started this rebuild. And so Jerry DePoto said, you know what? In 2019, we're going to be competitive and competing for a title in 2020. And then that changed to 2020. 
Then the pandemic happened. So of course that couldn't have happened. And now it's going to be, we're going to compete in 2022. He's moved the goalpost enough and he has his extension now. They better spend some flipping money to make this team better. And I realize I've said flipping like seven times on this podcast. Yeah, you can't, just so you know, like you you can say fucking if you'd like. Fuck, fuck, I said it. There there we go. Um, But it is, it's time. There are needs and a free agent market that matches those needs. So yeah, if they go out and they go get a couple of solid starting pitchers, if they go out and get a a shortstop and move J.P. Crawford to second base or an actual middle of the order type hitter, then yeah, maybe they're competing for a playoff spot. Are but they in a position old... to make a big free agent splash just to sign one of the huge names? I mean, you think? Yeah, you know, I, that's the I, question. That it's, it is a, it's a huge question, and, and yeah. you know, I, I think about and I, I bring this up like you remember when Jason Worth signed his big free agent deal. <laughs> Right. And it was like, oh my God, what is that? That's crazy. It's way too much. And and I understand that thinking, but at the same time, um, it put that team on the map as it like, did. hey, we're, we're a player for these kind of deals. Yeah. And right now, like Seattle doesn't feel like a player for those kind of deals. And you can't become a player for those kind of deals until you make one of those kind of deals. And you can't make your first cut one of those kind of deals unless you right. ever pay somebody. Yeah. That, and I mean, so like, are they in a position to do that? Like, you know, I hear what you say, like, oh, they could sign a couple solid starting pitchers and a solid, sure. go sign a, go get a dude. Yeah, absolutely. And they have the, I mean, if you're playing with where they have had budgets before and comparing to where like like they have almost no guaranteed money on the books for next year. Like it right. is they are super. The question is, and maybe you can answer this a little better than me, Kevin. You get the idea like you remember back when they signed Robinson Cano. And I do think like Robinson Cano, unbelievably good player. But I think it's fair to say that yeah. they paid more than the market suggested that Robinson Cano was going to get. And sure. then even go back to, if you remember way, way back when they signed Adrian Beltre and Richie Sexton. Now these oh, deals God. look, yeah, yeah, yeah. these deals look super friendly now, but at the time they gave Adrian Beltre five years, $65 million off of one a, really good season. And then yeah, it was Richie a big Sexton, deal at the time, big deal at the time. And Richie Sexton was something like 444. Like those were high in those market standards. And the impression that I've always gotten is, that baseball players don't really want to go to Seattle. And yeah, it's definitely a challenge. No, yeah. it's a yeah, it's a challenge for sure. And like a yeah, team, like, like big free agents want to go to winning teams and or sure. big market teams. It's just how it is. I don't. They're neither. I don't blame them. I don't think it's sure. a bad thing necessarily, uh, but it is a reality. And so, like, you do have to pay. You know, if you know, for lack of a better term, kind of a Seattle tax. You know, if you want to go get that, if you want to go get like a real dude. Sure. Uh, and and if you go get that dude, like I mentioned the J.P. Crawford thing, who I, I think J.P. Crawford is, is a nice player, certainly isn't going to become um, what a lot of people thought he was, where he was ranked as one of the five or ten best prospects. I think some lists even had him first. That was probably a little insane, but a nice player who I think could be valuable at second base. Like, go go get Corey Seager, man. Go get Trevor Story. Go get one of these shortstops because – like they have a chance to kind of maybe change that narrative a little bit. Um, I don't think you could have said that with Robinson Cano. As good of a player as mm-hmm, Robinson Cano mm-hmm. was, I don't think when you signed him to that deal, people were saying, oh boy, I get to go play with Robinson Cano. I think if you go get a a, a Corey Seager type and then you go get, um, you know, I don't think Max Scherzer would be interested in signing with them, but with them, but if, he, if you go make an effort for that type of pitcher, um, and they still have to make ter- a decision about Yusei Kikuchi, who is 
the most frustrating pitcher that I think I've watched over the last Something four else, or five man. years. It's it's really hard because it's it's almost unexplainable how different his stuff and command can look start to start. But it's they have ama- to like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's gonna be like seven innings, one run, or he'll yeah. be done in the third. It's oh it, yeah, it feels like and there's nothing in between. It's <laughs> there's really nothing strange. In, it is really strange. But if you go get some of those guys, maybe you can change that narrative. And like like I said, like that farm system, it's still pretty top heavy, but there is some really really good talent on there and i still believe jared kelnick can be an absolute like well above average regular despite the fact that he just went chris davis on us for uh the, that yeah. month of may or whatever but um he's been it, he's been he's looked pretty good at late. he has looked pretty good at late i here's a question i i have for you about jared kelnick so they sent him down to triple a and he did make the change in his stance and it, it, he does look more athletic up there with uh with a little bit of the knee bend But I think the issue there was when you send people down, especially hitters, I I struggle with that because I think one of the issues with Jared Kelnick was that he wasn't recognizing spin very well and uh, making adjustments to that stuff. Like, how do you do, how do you do that? Like the, the actual, like, cause you can't simulate major league pitching in triple a because it's literally triple a pitching. Right. I don't think they even wanted to try, um, to be honest with you. I, I think it was more like, um, and this is, I, I've not spoken to anyone with Seattle sure. about this. this, is pure speculation. I just mm-hmm. think like they thought it was getting to him. Gotcha. As bad as he was playing was getting to him, and it was best to just kind of give him a breather. And get some um, confidence type of get stuff. Some, and get, a... get, have some success on, on some field somewhere. Right. Um, and, and go from there. I don't think it was really about necessarily getting him improved in this way. It was more about like, let's just, let's just give this kid a blow. Sure. Um, you know, and, and, you know, he's like slugging 600 in his last 20 games. Yeah. Yeah. The September adjustments that I think he's made um, are really, really impressive. The one thing like a little bit concerning with me too, with Kelnick is like, he looks much slower than he looks to be that like when he was a prospect, certainly uh, yeah, I, out of Wisconsin. I, yeah. It's I a think corner, he might have bulked up. Yeah, I he's, think ideally he's playing in left field. Yeah, this is a corner guy. This is yeah. yeah he's not a yeah. It's it's average at best. I don't. I I I've never. You know everything you see here from people like who see him over the last couple of years was very much like it's a corner. It's a corner. It's a corner. Um, and I think that's where he'll end up. That's and the interesting thing there too is so Julio Rodriguez obviously is in a corner as well. So like Kyle Lewis, you're thinking is that center fielder but can you actually count on kyle lewis to be hey, i just a think yeah I, yeah contributor? i think you just have to treat whatever you get out of kyle lewis at this point like just i don't think you can count on him but if you get something out of him it's, it's a bonus great. yeah, yeah. It's bonus great um so yesterday i was i was working and 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 here on my second monitor was the uh blue jays rays game <laughs> um which wasn't a great game the the, nope. the the rays you know scored a scored a bunch early and went from there and then I don't remember the inning. Somewhere later in the game, it might have been the seventh. Um, Kevin Kiermaier set up the plate and got one firmly between the shoulders. Um, we don't know what was going through the mind of, of of the pitcher. We don't know what was going through the mind of the pitching coach, of the manager, of Montoya. Like, we just don't know. Uh, but the night before, uh, Kevin Kiermaier was involved in a play at the plate. Uh, the Toronto catcher, I believe, it was Kirk. Um, lost his little cheat sheet card that he kept in his little in the armband where you have kind of the the how we're gonna pitch to these guys notes, and Kevin Kiermaier picked it up and walked away with it and handed it to Kevin Cash. Um, 
and Kevin Kiermaier, um, it, it became a bit of a story people were mad about it, and Kevin Kiermaier lied about it when he talked about it before <laughs> the game. And um, do you? It's fun. Yeah, like, you know, it's fun. Like, we, it's great. I, I, you know, I don't like anyone throwing at anybody. It's 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 a it is it is an act of violence. Um, sure. I don't know. Like, honestly, I know we all watch baseball. Like, when's the last time you've held a baseball? Like, go grab a baseball and imagine that thing hit come at you at ninety five miles an hour. It's it's a deadly thing. It's a rock. Right. And um, so, but nonetheless, like you know, this happens, and and Kiermaier gives gives Brecky a stare down, and then some words are exchanged, and and dugouts come out, and um, what's the cliche? Cooler heads prevailed, and yeah. um, th- is what Kevin Kiermaier did wrong? Uh, I, so I don't think what he did like deserves like accommodations. Like I don't think like he mm-hmm. deserves like a medal for what he did. Like there's. I, I I think the blame goes to like the Blue Jays for not I taking better care of that type of stuff. Like I do, so when I first heard the story, I thought it just fell out of his pocket, and that would be even worse to me because like why not just have one of those quarterback armbands? You know what I'm saying? Where like you have that it's exactly what he had, yeah, on the thing. So that that changes it a little bit for me. I don't I don't know why. It, there's just something about the carelessness of it being in his pocket, I guess would be even more like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Like, why right. is this not attached to you? Basically. Um, but, I it's wish- a, yeah, but it's, it's like the, it's like, you know, if, if you, you shouldn't do the, but like if you leave your door unlocked and you get robbed, you still didn't deserve to get robbed. No, absolutely not. No, a hundred percent. No, there's, there's still blame on that. And, and I certainly think that like, what Kiermaier did is, is very uncouth. Like the, it, and I'm glad you brought up the lie because that was such bullshit. Like the whole, I had no idea what was going on. Everything was happening. So no, it fucking wasn't. You, like, you, you handed it right. You handed it to the manager. Like, like, and you handed it and yeah. handed it to him very kind of like yeah. under the table, no, without exactly. a table, like here, yeah. like this, you know, there was no, there was no, like, uh, just it, this was not a case of, um, a moment of passion type thing where you just didn't know what you're doing. You knew exactly what you were doing. And um, I wish, I wish for these, like these fight things, it would just be like hockey or they throw down the stick and say, I'm going to punch you, dude. I'm, I'm going to hit you, I, but I'm not, <laughs> don't do it with a freaking 97 mile per hour fastball or a, a night, whatever, however hard dude was throwing. Don't do that, man. You you're risking like somebody getting blind or much, much worse. Like don't, don't affect somebody's quality of life because you don't like the way somebody did something like just right. say, I want to fight you. And if you don't want to fight, that's fine. But I want to fight you. Throw the glove down and say, come here, do your uh, 1930s style uh, uh, Irish boxer where you're moving the arms up and down where you're ready to, to fight, dude. Do not threaten a dude's life because you're upset about something. Right, right, right. Um we, 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 you know, when we talked about the National League, we, we hit on the Padres, the Padres' <laughs> um, gigantic collapse. Man. Um, changes uh, are afoot within their front office. Yep. Um, Sam Ganey, their, their longtime uh, farm director, who uh, I knew since he was in high school. Um, he used to, back in the, you know, the late 90s had, uh, and early 2000s, had a, a website called CalLeaguers.com where he would go watch Cal League players and oh, wow. and scout them and write about them. And he was really smart and bright. And he, he went to Cal and ended up working for Oakland and going to San Diego. Um, 
there was you know they they promoted someone uh riley westman to to become their new director of play development um they reassigned their amateur scouting director and moved chris kemp who was uh running international uh, to the amateur director piece and um and there's rumors of more changes coming uh you know these are all people that you know even most casual fans do not know um the question is you know and i think this comes inevitably when a team plays bad in the second half right we get the stories of oh they lost you know the managers lost the clubhouse the managers lost the clubhouse um there was obviously a very public spat between machado and tatis in the dugout um and and there's complications here which which is that like um tingler and aj preller are very close right um but do you think we'll start next year with with tingler in the half the helm in san diego I don't think so. It just uh, somebody like you just mentioned that that there are people t- falling on the sword here too. But I, the, it's just tough for me to see whether it's his fault or not. Like the, it's just the manager. I think is a much easier guy to replace, and maybe not as much as we may think. But there are, there are qualified dudes out there that can go. Um, it, you can go get it, it. I think it sucks because I don't think you can put. You definitely can't put all of the blame on Tingler. Like, no, you can't. You can't help the fact that like Blake Snell uh, has pitched like pitched well towards that to end the year, but was a pretty mediocre dude at the beginning of the mm-hmm. year. Uh, and there Dan, were times during the season where they literally didn't have a rotation. Like, all, exactly, all, all, all five of their anticipated starters were not available to pitch. Yeah, I, I mean that's and that's not something that you can. No I team guess, can recover from that. I, I guess you can argue that. I don't think that he if you wanted to say he didn't make the team better, I guess you could say that because I mean, this is a team that basically had a wild card spot cemented and then just completely fell apart. I think it's more interesting, like looking at, like I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter about this. Like did the Padres screw everything up? I still think the Padres have a super bright future, mainly because whenever you have Fernando Tatis Jr., you've got a pretty darn bright future. Um, I mean, and they're locked in. I mean, I yeah, mean, absolutely. Machado and Tatis together are there for the next yeah. six years minimum. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I think you still have, you know, uh, talented players like Trent Grisham, I would expect to rebound. And Jake Cronenworth is a very solid player. Um, but you do look at, I mean, they, they gave up. I don't know how much big time quality they gave up in these trains. But they gave up a lot of quantity, like the the trades for like you, Darvish, where they gave up something like five prospects and all of these guys. I hate the term lottery ticket, but I, I totally get what people are saying when they when they sure, bring up that these are guys that are long term plays, not guys who are going to help anytime soon. But like it does kind of uh, and uh, I have many friends who hate the term begs the question, but I'm going to use it anyway. It oh, begs Lord. the questions if San Diego is going to regret, I think, the moves that they've made, especially this year where they gave up so much of that farm system, um, if it's going to be a long-term concern or if it'll be worth it because these guys are still a part of the organization going forward. And, and you know, the San Diego Padres in the last few years have, um, they have all sorts of trophies for winning the offseason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and... and They've won one playoff game. They won a wild card game, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, like that's it. Um, yeah. They've they've you know 
last year in, in a full season in 162, they haven't finished above third place since 2010. Um, oh, like winning the offseason only gets you so far. Yeah, and I will say this too. Like, I mean, some of this has to do with the fact that, like, I do wonder how much po- better the San Diego Padres are if they are the say. Lexington, Kentucky Padres, if they are playing in the NL Central or the and at least because look, sure, the Giants are good. I I don't yes. know how they became so good, but they're but they really, really are. good. That's and real. The, and the Dodgers are the Dodgers. Like that is kind of if if you were gonna uh, say the organization to look at to be right now, I would I would pick the Dodgers. You could argue the Rays, but I like teams that actually spend money. Um, so the Dodgers are that organization to me that are just kind of standard. And they're really freaking good too. I can't help, again, proving my age, go back to that 1993 season where uh, that uh, San Diego Padre, or that uh, San Francisco Giant team won something like 102 games and didn't mm-hmm. make the postseason. Mm-hmm. And somebody really good is going to go and play a game for their life almost assuredly against the Cardinals. But like, I do think that has some of that to do with it. Do I think that they're going to have to make um, some changes? Yeah, I think so. Like, I think that um, you're going to have to get more production out of first base. All due respect to Eric Hosmer. That's just not, not working, not, not working. Um, And uh, you know, maybe some more help in the outfield. I, I think maybe they, Thought that situation was set. You're going to have to figure out where the hell you're going to play Fernando Tatis Jr. What would you do with Fernando Tatis Jr.? Shortstop. Shortstop. Still, yeah. I, I, I mean, look, that's the the more valuable thing. But do you, do you think you can maybe play him in the outfield a few times to maybe try to save? Try to keep um, him. Try to get 156 games a year out of him. Yeah, and then the other thing too, I think that'll help is, and I, I think this is happening. I think you could play him in some DH next year because I do think that designated hitter is coming next year. I so do too. Maybe, yeah. So maybe that's something to do. But like, yeah, I mean, the fact that even a question is a little bit weird because of how good that dude is. But I mean, yeah. at the same time, I would want to make sure that that guy's in the lineup every day. But that's going to be a fascinating one. And we, if there's one thing we know, is that the San Diego Padres are willing to make moves. But uh, I do think that. I would, if, if you're just like, and maybe this will become a freezing cold take. I don't know if they listen to this podcast or not, but I would bet the Padres are a much, much better team in 2022. Okay. Um, well, on that positive note, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk to Jesse Sanchez of MLB.com about the wonderful world of international scouting. Uh, you will listen to a song by Gorilla Ghost, and we'll be right back.
back to the podcast. Special guest time. Our special guest has been a part of MLB.com for two decades now. He started as a Texas Rangers beat reporter. He's been a national reporter for the last 15 or so years uh, with a bit of a focus on the international world. Before that, he worked for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram and, uh, and and was all over international. I mean, I, more than half of the time, if I went down to the DR for something that was a, a public multi-team event, I would run into him. He is one of the nicest guys in the business and joining us from his luxurious accommodations in Phoenix, Arizona. It's Jesse Sanchez. Jesse, how are you? Kevin, thanks. Thanks for having me, man. It's, it's taken long enough. I mean, what is this, 100th episode and you finally... 32. Dude. 32, dude. Come on. <laughs> dude, I like text you all the time. Please get me on. What's going on? You know... <sighs> But uh, no, man, thank you so much. And and you're exactly right. I would see you. You had your fedora on and your sunglasses. And you were sitting in Estadio Quisqueya in Santo Domingo doing your thing. And uh, it was always cool to see you at those events because, I mean, you were doing work, man. And it was it's always good to see, uh, obviously, the scouts do their thing. And you see the domestic scouts and supervisors and assistant GMs go down. I mean, it just kind of showed how important the international side is and it was always cool to see it at all these different international places. Were you at, I'm going to, or we're already going to go on a tangent. Were you at the 2013 MLB showcase in, uh, in San Cristobal that had like Eloy and Ozzy Albies and Rafael Devers and those guys. You remember that one? Yes. I was at that one. Do you remember the in between games presentation where Eloy got some sort of, of, Ray de Baseball Award, even though he was 15, he was the king of baseball. Right. And it, was, and it was given to him by the then mayor of San Cristobal, Raul Mondesi, who came out. Yes. And he, and he, he came out, he weighed, I'm going to estimate he weighed 315 pounds, and he came out in a shiny silver tracksuit. And that image is still burned into my brain. Yes, that is, I mean, I think we can, people can Google what happened to him. After <laughs> yeah. his playing days, I don't Rose, go down. Rose in jail now, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I definitely remember that. And you know what? I think it's that event. I remember talking to Eloy several years afterwards. I mean, it's funny now. He's a big leaguer in early twenties, and you get to know these kids when they're fifteen, fourteen, or fifteen years old. You get to see them kind of grow up. But I think one of the backstories on that, I think he might have twisted his ankle, or might have even fractured his ankle mm. at an event, and oh. so he he went off the radar. Uh, he was our number one prospect, our international. We know we do that list every year. Yeah. He was our number one guy. And then he disappeared. And he, behind the scenes, he was freaking out. I think he had to deal with, a, you know, the Cubs early on. And, yeah, it was you know, not- he thought he was going to lose it. Um, you know, all the other teams were going to trying to come in and, and take him from the Cubs uh, because of this ankle injury. And, I mean, it's it's interesting as hell down there. I mean, all yeah. the stories and, you know, seeing Eloy, seeing Devers, and it's still a trip to see these guys as grown men. Oh, it's amazing to me, yeah. Yeah, doing um, their thing. The, the one thing, other thing I remember about that, and that was my first, like, MLB showcase down there. The other thing I remember was, you know, obviously they take BP, and it's rare for, like, 14, 15-year-olds to even hit a ball over the fence. And Eloy hit a ton over the fence, and then, like, 20 minutes later, Micker Adolfo hit more than he did. Um, right. You know, who had more raw. But anyway, I want to I want to get this. Look, obviously, 
um, you used to see each other down there a lot. The last time I was in the Dominican Republic was in March of 2020. And I've, I've written about this. I was in the Dominican Republic when um, when the, the COVID shit hit the fan, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when that basketball game got kind of canceled midway in and, and all of a sudden we, there was a travel ban. And when, when things really went to shit, I was in the DR and had a wild 48 hours trying to get out. But I have I have not been back since. Um, but but you know my question is kind of on a broad scale, is how has the pandemic uh, affected the world of international scouting in the sense that you know that was a place where people would go all the time and all of a sudden the travel was shut down. You know what was what was the the, the impact of that? You know obviously globally you know it impacted everyone and you know how serious it was and everything it caused and the chaos and baseball and the international side was also impacted you know heavily. Uh, by that, uh, you know, they pushed the signing period. Remember, we all knew July 2nd as the international signing period when it right. started. And, uh, you know, you'd had until, you know, the next May to sign. Um, so that's the first thing that comes to mind. That was pushed back till January 15th. And one of the immediate things, and, and you can probably speak to this, is, you know, you'd sign a kid on July 2nd, and then you can kind of, you know, slow play him through pro ball. You know, you put mm-hmm. him in your academy, uh, maybe DSL, or maybe you can start, you know, there's some domestic programs different clubs have, or you have, you know, club, I mean, programs there in your Dominican Academy and kind of slow play him. And then maybe the next year he would start out in the Dominican Summer League. Um, when you push it back to January, all that time was lost, you know, all that development time. So these kids are assigned in January and they have to play six months later or five months later in the DSL. Right. Where the you know you, you sign them in July, you you have a little time to help them adjust. I know we think of them as professional athletes, and obviously they are. And you know you think you hear about the money and you hear about bonuses and all this other stuff, but they're also sixteen year old kids. I mean, they're young; they're sophomores in high school. You know, if they're in high school, and so they're still making the adjustment to being on their own. They're making the adjustment to being away from their parents. They're making the adjustment to uh, an eighteen year old kid who throws ninety nine. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, so it impacted in a lot of ways. I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And I, again, I think you could speak to this as far as scouting. Um, a lot of times there was there was a scouting shutdown. I mean, right. you couldn't go see them. Uh, you couldn't see who was. And happening. to be clear, for a while, you weren't even allowed to. It wasn't right. even like a choice. Like MLB right. mandated that that people could not go. Right, you couldn't see them. So you're trying to see players for future classes. You're trying to touch base with kids that you already are going to sign. And it was pretty tough. And from my, you know, talking to different scouts, I mean, I haven't been to the Dominican since 2019 or so. Mm. You know, so talking to these different scouts, they communicated via WhatsApp. I think we all know WhatsApp is like our universal uh, chat for the international side. Um, They keep track with video chats, WhatsApp. Uh, social media, they talk to players and ask them to, you know, send videos of them working out. They text them kind of things. Uh, it was really difficult. It's really difficult to keep your hands on, your eyes on such young players sure. who are are really valuable. I mean, these are kids who are going to sign for a lot of money and who are potentially going to help your organization. And then you're just stuck talking to them by phone or, or video chats or, right. you know, there's a, there's, there's a lot that happened. I mean, trainer programs, you know, we talk about, we can go on a long tangent about this, but the Buscon, so the, you know, the uh, the trainers, 
I know they get kind of a bad rap sometimes. Um, just like any industry, they're the good ones and bad ones. Sure. But they're you know, but they're they're a key component of this whole baseball ecosystem. You know, they they get the kids, they develop them. Um, you know, the whole how much part, how much of their bonus they should receive is up for debate, and I think that's where a lot of the controversy comes in. You know, but they're an important part of this whole system. They couldn't train their kids, you know, and so it's it's it impacted all the way from the bottom level to kids not being able to play little league to you know the twelve year olds, thirteen, fourteen trainers, big league. I mean, it had a dramatic impact on the international market, just like it did on the domestic side. You know, and you talked about delaying their career a bit with the the, the later signing day. Another impact that that had was just that um, there are tax laws in the Dominican that are interesting in the sense that baseball income is not taxed. And mm. so players like to stay in the Dominican the year they get their bonus. Therefore, they worked and all that money was Dominican money that's not taxed. And so um, a good example is, you know, right now is Norge Vera, who in a normal world would probably it be in the Arizona Complex League uh, at his age, throwing 99, but instead is spending his summer in the DSL so he can keep all of his bonus money. And that's gone from, you know, because of the January signing date, that kind of thing has gone from six months to a full year. And that that's delaying kids as well. Right. I mean, it's up and down. It's really had an impact. And I'd be interested to hear you from the scouting side, you know, what how that's impacting, like what front office thinking. I mean, everybody knows now if you're not involved in the international side in some form or some capacity, you're missing the boat. Right. Mm-hmm. You're making a mistake. If like all 30 clubs are not involved in international, it's like saying, oh, I'm not going to be involved in the trade deadline. Oh, you know what? We're going to skip minor league free agents this year. Right. Let's, let's, right. let's just let's just not do that. Well, <laughs> it's, as someone who worked for the Astros, who kind of skipped minor league free agency most years. Um, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I mean, but at least, you know, you were skipping it. You know? <laughs> uh, oh, I was just going to ask one of the things that I think is kind of interesting, too, is. Um, the the kind of a, the elimination of some of the short season stuff. I wonder what kind of effect, and maybe this is something that we really won't be able to answer for a while, but Jesse, what kind of effect do you think that's going to play in the international market? Um, it's all about development, right? I mean, clubs with sure. good player development programs, clubs with good Dominican academies and, you know, international academies, I think they'll be able to sustain that or, you know, kind of overcome that. But you, sure. you just can't deny that these players need development. They right. need games. They have to be in games. Um, as we all know, in the, or especially in the beginning, uh, what, when scouts would see these international players, they were kind of like the combines. You know, we'd mm-hmm. see the 60-yard run. We'd see them take ground balls, a couple rounds of infield, a couple rounds of BP sometimes. And, Kevin, I know you've been to these tryouts. Uh They'll have a pitcher up there throwing meatballs to these kids, yeah. you know, and they're they're launching it into the trees. Uh, but when you see them in game action, you get a better idea of who they are. Sure. You know, you can get an idea who's a gamer or not. I, I'm not I'm not sure how you quantify what a gamer is, you know, <laughs> but you could just tell the difference when you put some of these young prospects in games, who they right. are. Yeah. And when you don't have those games, um, it makes the job harder. So, you know, we are in, you know, as, as we've talked about way too often on the podcast, we are entering a CBA year. Um, when you talk about an international draft, for most people, 
um, they talk about a, a, it's no longer an if, it's a when. Um, what do you think an international draft is going to look like in terms of, of structure? Because um, I've heard all sorts of varying things. I've heard, I've heard five rounds. I've heard 20. Um, I've heard like a, a, a hard slot system. I've heard more of a bonus pool system. Like, what do you think that thing's going to end up looking like? You know what? It's really tough to speculate because that's kind of it's one of those things that's going to be collectively bargained between the you know the union and uh, uh, the MLB lawyers. Um, but you're exactly right, and I think the commissioner has been pretty open about wanting the single entry for all players. And I think, you know, my take maybe two thirds of international scouting directors they want to draft. You know, they want to, you know clean things up they want to uh, kind of even the playing field but then there's this other group um a lot of times it's the veterans who've been around a long time and have these relationships built in and have these track records and and have these really solid reputations in the dominican republic these processes that have proven you know successful over the years they don't really want to draft yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm in that group. I I think I have the yeah. right to to outscout you. Um, you know, and and I sure. don't think the 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 you know, if you want to level the playing field, do it yourself. Don't have MLB mm. do it for you. Right, and and I've heard that several times. I mean, uh, that's the argument. Hey, uh, I should have the right to outscout you. We our our scouts, our area scouts, our you know bird dogs or whoever have built these relationships up over decades. And we should be able to go outwork you and and yeah. go to that extra tryout or go to that extra thing or hear about that one tryout that's in the far corner of the island and right. find a hidden gem. Yeah, you have the right to go to you know Azua and find you know and go see the guy that the other people are going. Ah, it's too far a drive. <laughs> All right. Um, so, so you know, do, do you think we're well that this is? You know how how soon do you think this is coming? Or is this where we're at? Are we, you know, do you think with the next CBA we'll have the international draft? Is it coming that soon? You know, there's been talks about it, right? I mean, it's it's really hard to to say or speculate when, but I think if you talk to some international scouting directors, they're preparing for it. Whether that's going to be 22 yeah. or 20, 23 at the latest, I mean, they're preparing for it. I mean, I know some clubs who have have moved some of their domestic guys to their international side or folks that have experience on international and domestic, they've moved them into this hybrid role on the domestic, on the international side and preparing the international folks from what could be coming, what a draft could be looking like, what our draft board is going to look like. Um, right. You know, so I think teams are anticipating that. And because they're anticipating that, you know, I've seen, I've heard more of these hybrid roles where, you know, I talk to scouts and, and I'm I'm saying, hey, I thought you were back in the USA. And like, no, I'm back in the DR half the time. I'm, I'm in the U.S. doing half the time because, you know, we anticipate this draft coming and we want our folks on the ground on the international side to be prepared for what that's going to look like. The pitfalls, the successes, all that thing that comes with the draft. Because I think, Kev, you could probably speak to the differences between approaching international and approaching the domestic draft, you know, they're totally different ways of going about business. And how do you think that international draft will kind of change the, the trainer team dynamic, you know, in the sense that, you know, like you talked about, um, you know, when I think about international scouts, I, I think about, you know, how good their eyeballs work, but also 
you know, how valuable those, you know, and you talked about this, how valuable those relationships are with the trainers. You know, the trainers are at times calling your guy and not calling every guy, but calling your guy and saying, hey, you got to see this kid. Um, and you, you know, sometimes you get a leg up because they have a good relationship. Um, and, and, you know, there are trainers who are more aligned with teams than, than, than other teams and things like that and have better relationships. But like, how is this going to change to the, you know, the dynamic now is, is trainers get kids. Um, and we could talk for hours about how that happens. Now trainer, you know, kids kind of transfer from trainer to trainer, trainers, they get better and better and better at times. But, you know, trainers get kids, teams see kids, teams see them at the trainer site, then at times sometimes bring them to their own place for a workout and things like that. How, how is a draft going to change kind of the 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 trainer-dominated world down there? You know, that's going to be very interesting because, uh, as you mentioned, a lot of so there are some trainers who are aligned with clubs, who have relationships with clubs or relationships with the scout, and, you know, uh, they'll let you know, a certain team, see a player a certain amount of times, or, you know, there's just a track record. But when you don't know where your player is going to go, that changes the game. I mean, I I wouldn't say it, maybe it helps when you're in negotiations, when you pick a player and you want to sign him, maybe a previous relationship with a guy or a trainer might help you going forward. Yeah. But... I don't know. I think it's kind of a game changer. I mean, we don't know if if an international draft comes, we're not going to know where these players are going to go. Um, so right now, at this very moment, I'm sure there are clubs out there who are who are already prepared and already have a international draft board, and they're already thinking who they would get, who's their top pick for 22 or 23. Um, I know how far in advance teams work, and. Uh, We'll just see. I, I really don't know, but I think it will definitely have an impact on the trainer-team relationship, which was a crucial component, you know, before this. And it should be fair to say that that you know there are um, there are deals, there are verbal deals already for plenty of twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three players. So those would, I guess, just go away, right? Right, right. I mean, as we know, it's. We, we can now talk about it. I mean, I've written about it. Other outlets have written about it. We talk about the handshake deals that, that folks do. And I think that's probably part of the reason folks want an international draft. Um, let's get rid of these early deals and or not just the early deals with the 15 year olds, but maybe the early deals with the ones who are much younger than that. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, and that's the ones that are really kind of alarming. And I think those are the ones that you know, MLB and just clubs and just, you know, different trainers want to eliminate because the market has moved so fast. I was going to say, it, it seems to have gotten like way worse in the last five years or so where all of a sudden, like, you know, I still talk to a lot of people and like, where are you go? What are you seeing? Oh, I'm going to go see some 2024s. Like, what are we doing? Oof. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. So you talk to international directions that, and I asked them that like a 2024. Yeah. What are you doing? You know? And then it's like, that's where the market is. That's where everybody's competing now. We're all because all the because all the next year kids are done. And like you know, we talked when we started about the 2013 MLB Showcase that happened in January, and you know, obviously the signing date was was um, was in June, so we were still you know five months away. And if I remember going through that roster with um, you know one of our, our head international guys, and you know, somewhere between two thirds and three fourths of those kids were already done. Right. Right. You know. And 
it's it's crazy. It's really fast. So talking to folks, they just uh, an international side. They just talk about how fast the market is and and how difficult it is to see a kid two or three times and then have to make a decision. You know, a big decision with big money on players. And at, at, yeah, and at times like one time, I, I, at one time, it's 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 insane. Sometimes I, I went to an MLB showcase in Tijuana that took place after the after the GM meetings, and I, I went down to Tijuana. And there was this kid on, on one of the Mexican teams who I really liked and two other people with the Astros really liked. And it's like, we, we got to get this kid in and, and take a look at him and, um, you know, maybe do a private workout with him. I think this, this kid really might be something. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. And literally 20 minutes later, another team had already, had offered him $300,000 on the spot. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. I mean, like I said, it's, it's, it's gone really fast. And I think everybody within the industry recognizes that. You know, there was a, a time where, hey, uh, you can do handshake deals maybe while the kid is 15 and, or a couple months in advance of, you know, July 2nd. Uh, but over the last, you know, three or four years, maybe the last five years or so, it's really sped up. And I think people are just, uh, the people who care about the game, the people who are really plugged in, are trying to remove those really early deals. Um, it just, it's just, changed the game it changed the market and and folks are having to make these decisions extremely fast and as we as we all know those are high stakes and when you when you sign a player and and you can speak to this you know you're vouching for this kid you know you're you're going to bat for him you're you're giving someone seven hundred thousand dollars you're giving them eight hundred thousand dollars yeah i think you can only swing and miss so many times you know before people start noticing or start paying attention that hey your kids aren't we're not hitting on these guys. Yeah. You know, so I think that's a big re that's one of the reasons um, people are paying attention and are, are anticipating an international draft. Um, like I said, we've written about it on MLB.com and pipeline. Uh, uh, different uh, officials at MLB have, have been open about the early deals and, and trying to, you know, fix that and, and make the system better. And we, we've always been talking about, international is like trying to get a handle on it trying to figure it out but i think an international draft is a you know probably a you know a tangible step towards that um who knows what will rise who knows will surface after that i'm sure there'll be different complications oh of course you know and there'll be different teams as as you know as we all know like different teams will you know walk the line there'll be a whole new series of things that we didn't even think about that teams and, and right, trainers teams will find the exploits right to, to try uh, to figure it out right uh, you, you you talked about like you know maybe two-thirds of the teams want an international draft and um that's the gringos talking that's the teams that's the people in the offices here in the states like how what's the you know you, I'm sure you remember the great, uh, the great trainer protests of a few years back. Um, like, like, what is, what do the people in the Dominican want? Do the, do, do the trainers and are the trainers on board with international draft at this point? I know MLB has put in an inordinate amount of work to try to get um, a better relationship with the trainers, but have they gotten to that point? I think so. I think before it was. Uh... You know, as we know, I think we saw, and you can Google and the stories, there was the uh, anti-draft protest by the trainers. Oh, I remember you know? it. You know, and, and I think uh, they were concerned that they, 
that the money they they were not going to make enough money off the with the draft. It, it was going to cut into you know their ability to sustain their academies, to their ability to you know feed and house and you know take care of these prospects for two or three years. And and that was like the first thing they talked about. I think as they saw more information, they're starting to realize that maybe the money's going to be the same. And a, a, another thing that. Most recently, I talked to them. They don't like showing 2024s either. Do you know what I mean? They don't want yeah. to show. They don't like that. I mean, it's like, um, I just okay, I just got this kid from a little league. He's in my program. Normally, I have two or three years to train him, to groom him, and put him, you know, make him a kind of the showcase, you know, circuit so a team can sign him. Now, you know, I have to show these younger prospects, and that's not, they're not ready. You know, and so that impacts my credibility. That impacts, you know, my program. I mean, it, it goes back to the point where the market has moved so fast. And I think it's to the point where, you know, a lot of, you know, like I said, two thirds of maybe teams want to draft and maybe as many two thirds of the uh, of the Buscones or the trainers because they and the, for the point that they just don't like to show players so young. The market sure. has sped up so fast that they're like, hey, you know, my hidden gym. You know, I, I need a I, I need to be able to train a guy and you know develop him a couple of years so you can see who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, and so at sixteen, he's going to be somebody that you're going to want in your organization. Or at fifteen, he's going to be someone you're really going to consider. But I can't do that when they're so young. You know, that's not that's not what we do. Right. You know, I need time to develop these guys. It, yeah, it's just amazing. Like you see, like they're, they're looking at thirteen year olds who are. Mm-hmm. Obviously, physically immature. Um, at times, you know, it, it's you know, this is a function. The Dominican Republic is a is a much of the country is in abject poverty. At times, malnourished. Right. Um, you know, you're not getting any sense of what that player is. It was just impossible. Like you'd go see this kid, and like, okay, now you want me to sit down and tell you what he's going to look like in a decade? <laughs> like, I I don't know any scout who can do that well. Right. It's an impossible task. I had. One scout tell me, even under the best of times, you know, whether, you know, back in, like I mentioned before, um, they, you know, come to these agreements or handshakes or, you know, come close to clubs when they were 15 years old and maybe two months later they turn 16 and then they sign on July 2nd. That it wasn't that long ago where that's kind of how it was, Yeah, you know, it really wasn't that long ago. But even during those, those circumstances, I had one scout tell me, imagine a baby is born. And you're in the, you know, the delivery room and, and you pick up this baby and you hold him to the sky and you're going to say, this kid is going to be one of the, <laughs> one of the best neurosurgeons in the world. <laughs> That's what we're doing, Jesse. Jeez. We're trying to figure it out. You know, they're so young. There's a lot of development, as you guys know, between 16 and 18, 18 and 20, right. 20 and 22, you know. And then so now hats off to the international folks and all the people Oh, yeah. yeah. For the job they do. They really work their butts off. I mean, they're sure. grinding. You know, they're really kind of like the unsung heroes a lot of the of the industry because they're really out there doing their thing. They're grinding, they put their butts on the line for for young players and and we're seeing now, you look at some of the young stars, uh, Tatis, we all know uh when he signed at 16, shoot, I ranked him like number 30. Yeah. Right. You know, cuz <laughs> cuz he was a 16-year-old kid. You know, he's a 15-year-old kid. And it was like, oh, didn't you see this coming? I was like, well, 
in retrospect, no. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody saw that. You know? Right. Uh, I still yeah. love I still love that photo of Fernando Tatis Jr. as the 16-year-old on the MLB pipeline page. Anytime Fernando Tatis Jr. <laughs> does something good, I love linking that just because, I mean, he looks like a completely different human being. In fact, when you were talking about Eloy Jimenez, I went and took a look at that portal page, like borderline unrecognizable, which just yeah, he was he was like, long and lanky. Yeah, yeah he was a, a huge dude, seen, and like you know, a potential six runtime. That's obviously not Eloy Jimenez anymore, but that's like that's how much stuff can change between us. We all took health class and know that we have an awful lot of stuff that happens between them, and it's just it's fascinating to me to see how much. I mean, there has to be some guesswork, but how good some of these guys are at this guesswork is really kind of fascinating. It is. It is. And, you know, I talked to these scouts for our, you know, our top 30, and this time we moved it up to top 50 international prospects. And, uh, you know, just talking about Eloy, no one anticipated him growing this big. Right. You know, he was going to be kind of a sleek uh, outfielder, you know, obviously muscular. He's a big kid, but I don't think anybody saw this, how big he was going to be. You know, with with Fernando, uh, with Tatis, I remember talking to some guys, even years later, they're like, oh, you know, he had broad shoulders and a good arm, but, you know, he wasn't very fast. He was kind of big old feet and, you know, a little <laughs> bit clumsy and, you know, but, you know, there were flashes there, but nobody saw this coming. I'm Juan yeah, Soto's, and, a, yeah, another guy like that. Sure. And, and, you know, I'm going to date myself here, but I'm sure, Justin, you remember Juan Duran who yeah. in 07 or 08, the Reds gave Juan Duran $2 million, and he was he was the flavor of the month. This was this was the best outfielder in, on, on the market and, and, and a, you know, a future power beast in a corner and everything like that. And at some somewhere between 15 and 18, Juan Duran went from 6'1 to 6'8, and right. he, lost, <laughs> he lost literally every ounce of body control and coordination. Aww. And it all went to shit, and he couldn't, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't hit anymore because he just had absolutely no coordination with these super long levers and everything. That just nothing worked anymore. And like you didn't know that was going to happen, right? I mean, the same thing happened to me when I went from five one to five one and a half. It changed everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I could ba- I could barely walk now. I mean, it's it was just I don't know, man. It was a game changer. I woke up one day. I was, you know, I could I could see over the doorknob. It was. It was I don't know, man. It, I, I can totally get what Juan's feeling. Going from six one to six eight, five one to five one and a half. It's, it's basically the same deal. Very, very yeah, similar. Very smart, yeah. Um, you know, you talked about how some teams are kind of you know doing this more hybrid model of scouting and having some of their amateur guys also do international or or, or what things like that. And you know, I, I I've seen you down there many times. I know you really love it down there. You know, I really love it down there. There are people who don't want to go down there. There are right. people who are, who are uncomfortable and don't like going down there. Um, and I never could quite put my finger on why. I guess maybe I just uncomfortable with it being a different place. It is, you know, the first time you go, it is eye-opening, uh, to say the least. Um, and I've always said, you know, if someone was idiotic enough to let me run a front office, I would make going down there mandatory for literally every baseball operations employee just to understand where these players are coming from. Um, but it, it feels like, you know, Everyone I know is you know, is either in or out. And I, you know, I was talking to someone you know pretty recently, and he said, "I've seen you down there. I know you got the disease. You love it down there." I said, "I do." You know, and and it's, um, 
I mean, can, can you kind of talk? I, to me, it still is a special place, and 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 like the, after even after my first trip, I I really feel like that place got like a piece of my heart. And um, but for so many people, you know, a lot of people don't have and have no, they don't, literally don't want to go down there. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I can't speak to that because I've never felt that way, and I, it's kind of hard to get in someone else's brain why they wouldn't go down to want to see a place where baseball, where we work in. It's part of their culture. It's like food. No, it's like baseball, air, food, yeah. fam, you know, it's <laughs> that's part of it. You know, the international side, where it's Dominican and, and once upon a time when we could go, all go to Venezuela, the, the same thing. You know, I really don't understand why that mentality, you know, um, who knows? Maybe that's that's a whole other segment why folks don't want to get out of their comfort zone. Yeah, or, for sure. You know, not you know, it's it, maybe it's intimidating to not be able to if you don't speak Spanish, it could potentially be an intimidating place. It, I, it, even if you speak Spanish, Dominican Spanish will, will fuck you up real quick. <laughs> you know, yeah, so you know, the traffic can be, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, the traffic and the speeding cars, and you know, and frankly, I've been going there for shoot, fourteen years, several years, right, over a decade, and I've never driven. And I don't no. that I just don't. I'll take Uber. Or I'll ride. I'll ride with somebody, or you know, bum a ride, or a taxi. Uh, I'm just not familiar, or, or feel comfortable driving there. Maybe that's something that scares people away. I, yeah, I mean, to, I don't the, know. Yeah, you know, when I worked for the Astros, literally, were it wasn't even an option. We're not allowed to rent a car and drive yourself. It wasn't was not allowed because it wouldn't. You couldn't. You wouldn't be a travel insurance. Your travel insurance would become defaulted if you drove in the Dominican Republic. Yeah, so so I don't know. I mean, and also when it's part of your job, right? So yeah, so you must have the disease, Kevin. Yeah, I have the <laughs> disease of trying to find the best players in the world, whether they're and going Florida. to this right and going to this awesome place to do it. It sucks. I mean, like I I just don't. It kind of baffles me. And I it, and but you're right. Like the the I mean, you know what's like. You just drive around, and everywhere you look, there's kids playing baseball. Um, my favorite thing is the sports report on the local news. You turn on the news and like, you know, it's time for the sports. Here's Bob with the sports. And it would, I, it was like the first time I was there and I just couldn't believe it. It was just hysterical. It's like, you know, let's go to the sports. What happened in baseball today? Well, the twins beat the Red Sox seven to two. David Ortiz had a single in the seventh. Let's take a look at that highlight. There you, you go. Know? <laughs> that was what it was. And it was, it was like, this is the best. It is, man. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful place. Like it really Every person who loves baseball, whether you're a fan, front office, or, you know, kind of even a casual observer, you should go to Dominican Republic because it's just, you know, it's the land of baseball, the island of baseball, whether it's winter league baseball, which is awesome. If you go to these games, I think they're finally letting, you know, fans back in the stands now. Um, You can go watch an academy game if you can, you know, find a connection there. Someone will help you go watch an academy game. Uh, There's these showcases. Um, if you love baseball, that's that's the place to be, you know. And again, I just don't get why folks that wouldn't want to go there. You don't know how many people are like asking, "Hey, how do I? Go? Can I go with you?" Like, right. no, Dad, you can't go with me, the Dominican <laughs> Dad. <laughs> do you have a sense of what the COVID situation is right now in the Dominican? You know, I haven't. I I, I haven't okay. kept track, and I, and I would be, uh, I would speak out of turn if I knew exactly what was going on there. Uh, previously, there was lots of curfews and. I know they took it seriously, but uh, they, you know, they I, shut down I, the airports. There was a travel shutdown too for early on, right? I mean, 
it definitely hit the island hard, just like it hit the rest of the world. And there's all different types of rules and guidelines. But the most recent information, you know, I, I just don't know. So, Jesse, what's uh, what's coming up with you at TheBigMLB.com? Well, TheBigMLB.com, we had our uh, top 50 international prospects come up. So every once in a while, you know, I encourage everybody to go look and look back in a year and and look back, see how wrong I was putting one, <laughs> Fernando Tatis at, at number 30. You know, but I, I did see one thing. Uh, so I had, uh, I forget what, 2016 or so, we had Juan Soto. It's a, it's a team effort, right? I say me, but it's a, it's a team effort. Everybody at MLB.com. MLB Pipeline. We all do it together, you know. I had Juan Soto at like You're leading the way, Jesse. Don't yeah. I? You're being good here. I understand. <laughs> you're being politically correct and saying the right thing, but you're leading the charge here. Just it's okay. I'll say it since you won't. Okay, Kev. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. <laughs> no, but so I had Soto on there for like 23 or 24, right? And I remember looking back and everybody's like, give me so much crap. How do you have the best young player this didn't you see you know who he was and and i went back and i read the scouting report and it talked i wrote all about the hit tool might be the best hitter if it wasn't for his slow feet or lack of running ability he might be number one right so that all that resonated with me and i earlier this year there was a a spanish clip on las mayores our spanish site or maybe it went on mlb.com i'm not sure where i saw it but it's vlad jr and Juan Soto talking about how slow they were as as runners and how they would hide in the 60 during the 60 they wouldn't run and all I saw was a yes my scouting report was right yes. <laughs> Jesse can I ask you uh real quick I'm looking at this list and again as good a work for this international stuff as anybody and I see two pitchers in the top 50 is this a case of and not a pitcher until 31 in uh uh, Jarlin Susanna, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, but is this a case of the, the hitting class being ahead of the pitchers or is this just a poor pitching class or just a little bit of both? You know, I wouldn't necessarily characterize it as a poor pitching class in general. If you look up and down our list over the last decade or yes. more that we've been doing them, um, it's a position centric list. I mean, it's right. shortstops and center fields and shortstops who are going to end up at third. Uh, a center fielder who could end up in right. Right. Um, you know, that's kind of how, how it's mostly framed, and that's kind of how it works out. Uh, pitchers in general, if we're, we're fortunate to get a couple on there, a couple right. that stand out. And I think uh, Kevin and I, we've had conversations, I think, in the DR about this very topic. You know, uh, how, do we, how do I rank these pitchers? How are clubs evaluating these pitchers? Because, you know, seeing... A 15-year-old throwing 99 is eyebrow raises your eyebrows. Sure, but but seeing a 15-year-old with great mechanics and a live arm, you know, can make somebody salivate. Yeah, and athletic. Yeah, right. So um, it's really hard to care to, to classify to say exactly why the pitchers are um, not dominant on these lists, but it's, it's just really a position heavy sure. middle of the middle of the infield middle of the outfield kind of thing. I mean, frankly, I'd love to hear how, you know, Kevin, you know, Kev's thoughts on why aren't there more, why don't we hear more about international pitchers? I, I think part of it is kind of like, um, like the old black quarterback thing where I think 
a lot of the players, if they're super athletic, get pushed into playing positions and hitting instead. Right. Um, I, I think that happens for sure. Um, I also think, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier, like these kids are so physically immature at times that they're not, they can't blow you away with their stuff. And, you know, the Astros had a ton of success, be it, you know, Framber or Inoli or Christian Javier signing kids at 18. Um, and, and, you know, and, and first of all, like, you know, they're, they're, the bonus numbers go way, way down at a level that's ridiculous to what their talent is. Um, just cause like, you know, they're 18 and therefore they are, and I'm making scare quotes here, old, <laughs> um, you know, and, and so these, these players change dramatically over time. And, and all of a sudden at 18 or 19, they look like what you expect 18 or 19 year olds to look like, cause you can't really judge a 15 year old. Well, and like you said, um, focusing more on kind of delivery and athleticism over stuff was also a, a, a big, big thing um, for a lot of teams. And, and, you know, the stuff thinking the stuff will come if they have the delivery and the athleticism um, and that, that they'll become pitchers. But so many of these kids, like if they have that athleticism, they're going to get pushed to shortstop or center field. That's interesting. The top prospect, that's one of the reasons why it stood out is one, because like I've, I've looked at your list for a very long time and it's usually that top 30 and there wouldn't be a pitcher on that list. And then the number 31 guy here is a pitcher who's six foot six to 25 uh, and doesn't turn 18 until March 23rd of next year. So that's why that kind of stood out to me. That is a, a big, big boy at that age. That's for sure. Right. And, and it speaks to what Kevin was saying. Like somebody saw that and I mean, I guess, I don't know. I don't know how difficult it is, but projecting, see a six foot six, two hundred twenty-five kid. I mean, uh, it doesn't seem like a no-brainer, but right. it seems like it's somebody who would, you would definitely keep an eye on. So yeah. I think that's that kind of speaks to you know what Kevin mentioned. Um, scouts are looking at bodies. They're looking at delivery. They're looking at potential. I, uh, I guarantee you, somewhere in somebody's computer system is a scouting report on that kid that says looks like a young Michael Pineda. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And Michael or Michelle, remember he was Michelle Pineda. Oh yeah, uh, Michelle Pineda. Uh he was a guy, you know, coming out of the Dominican, I think Absolutely. He had four yeah. or five million. Uh um, yeah, he was huge. He was a you know, he was a he was a name. And I think the Oakland signed him once upon a time. I think that's where he went. He signed with the uh, Mariners first. Oh, did he? Yeah. Yeah. Um Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. It's it's some of those names it's kinda hard to keep track sure. of sometimes. Yeah. But uh, are yeah, you thinking about you about Michael and Noah? Oh, that's who I'm thinking about. Yeah, yes, yes that's a uh, uh, Michael and Noah. I mean Michelle and Noah. Yeah, See, I he mean, was the guy. He he broke the record, like the bonus record. Right, that's who I'm thinking about. And his brothers, uh, I think in the big league still. Yeah, Oscar with the Braves. Yep. Yeah, uh, but one thing to keep track of as far as trends is uh, a lot of catchers in Venezuela, which is kind of a recent phenomenon. I think. Historically, we've seen a lot of middle infielders come out uh, of Venezuela, shortstops, second baseman, even some third baseman. But one thing I've really noticed over the past few years is the number of catchers who've come out. You know, so w- we will see. We'll see how they play out. We'll see, you know, where they land as they make their way through the minor leagues and, and make their way to the big leagues, hopefully. Um, but that's that's one thing that really struck me. Like, wow, I, there's a lot of catchers in Venezuela and a lot of highly regarded little young For prospects sure. that are people are paying attention to, and it's kind of that's a new thing or new thing for me. And, the, and at the same time, catchers in the Dominican are, ex- are excessively rare. Right. 
Um, yeah, if you could line up like the best Dominican catchers of all time, and like Miguel Olivo's in the top five, right? Ooh. It's just interesting, and each each country has its own personality, and this speaks to like a larger conversation. But how you know each country, each group of Latinos, each dialect, each you know culture is different. I think mm-hmm. what happens sometimes is we like we group everybody into international, or we group everybody into Latino without seeing like the bigger picture of like the individual groups and the individual set of circumstances that each group has to deal with and overcome, you know, and, and that's just something that uh, we try to address in our writing, you know, in our stories and our, our, our video, our TV appearances kind of, you know, humanize and, mm-hmm. and personalize all the different, types of players and and their backgrounds and where they come from and i think you know sometimes people make the mistake of thinking venezuela and dominican are basically the same thing or mexicans and puerto ricans and you know first generation second generation third generation without understanding the complexities of of each of these different groups you know so uh i guess that's just a long way of saying uh you got to respect each each group and under try to understand the culture of each different group because they all come from different places even sure. though we kind of group them into international we group them into latino when it's it's, it's a lot more than that it's very much and I, like i said if you go down there and get like um like these 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 kids what they go through what they do to become that are are flat out heroic I, I i don't think it's appreciated enough what they what they go through to get here and become major league baseball players yeah it, it really stands out i mean watching uh, 15 year old kids get in a circle and, and pray you know just the image of that think of that I have and a photo of that on my phone of before a workout of kids like uh, them all getting in a circle in left field and taking a knee and praying yeah because they know what this potential what this workout has the potential of doing it has the potential to change their the life their the course of their life the course of their parents life maybe their children's or maybe their grandchildren you know it, it's a big deal I mean these 15-year-old kids are, are heroic. They go out there. Baseball's so hard. I think everybody yeah. knows how how hard baseball is, you know? Yes. We watch the big leaguers do it. I mean, they just make it look easy. But baseball is extremely difficult, you know? So these kids have to go out there, perform under this pressure, and they do it. And I don't know. It is, that's a great word for them, heroic, because uh, that's a, there's a lot of pressure on them. And, and the kids, they perform, you know? And, and we're seeing them in the big leagues, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jesse, we've taken enough of your time. I want to thank you for coming on. If you want to follow Jesse on Twitter, you can do so at Jesse Sanchez MLB. Anything else I need to plug? Um, other, other than the lead role you take on the prospect rankings, international under, prospect <laughs> rankings at MLB.com. You know, we've had a few team stories. Uh, uh, we wrote a, a big one on Fernando Valenzuela, his, you know, the anniversary, uh, Fernando Mania. Uh, we had some good stuff on Wander Franco, who's another guy we didn't touch on, but he's a guy at, you know, 13, 14. Everybody's been following his career. You yeah. know, I think people within the game have known who he who he is for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, another guy like that, Julio Rodriguez, a Mariners prospect. Uh, but we have tons of great stories on, you know, MLB.com and Las Mayotas on a lot of the international guys and, you know, I encourage folks to go check it out because uh, you can follow these kids. I, I call them kids, right? But that's, that's what I think of. But yeah. they're soft, yeah, for they're, sure. 
they're sophomores yeah. in high school, you know, yeah. but you can follow them when they sign and through the minor leagues. And then when they get to the big leagues, you know who they are, Sure. you know, and, and it's really gratifying. It's really cool. I mean, I enjoy it. Uh, I miss seeing you in the Dominican, <laughs> you know, and, and hopefully it won't take another hundred episodes before you <laughs> invite me back. It's 32, Jesse, 32. All right, I'll see you at one thirty-two. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. <sighs> Thanks for coming on, Jesse. All right, fellas. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jesse. Algorithm Nation. Cool Keith. Yeah. Culture Internet. Internet life. Internet. Internet is side effects, connections, addiction, a brain locked in prison, intervention, do they notice, break the focus, socialism barely open, you becoming stagnant, old, detaching, the catch is so accurate, computers attracting them, hurry up, load up fast again, the Wi-Fi make you passengers, more info, spectacular, lots talking accurate, Steve Jobs, nothing playing John Madden, Catch it by the internet's ability to make you an in-house Pit's house pet, naked image you project Film with sex, you're meeting a stranger Online, you just met, caught up in a thicket Dating sites in different districts You don't even know it's a man Hiding online, knowing some little boys with lipstick Your girl talking to sex traffickers, predators And nasty wit Technology corrupt I can swipe a card and bust with lust
Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks to Jesse Sanchez for joining us. Jesse's the best. I love Jesse. And I, Very best. It was always fun to, to run into him at, at some stadium in the middle of nowhere in the Dominican. Um, you are listening to the music of Gorilla Ghost. Very excited to have Gorilla Ghost as our musical guest. Gorilla Ghost is the brainchild of two like-minded individuals. This is this is not simply a melding of genres. This hip-hop filtered through the anger and aggression of punk and metal. The result is something propulsive and forceful that demands the listener's attention. They have proven to be one of Milwaukee's more consistently prolific acts in the last few years. They formed in 2016. It is producer Tron Jovi, which is just a fantastic name, uh, and rapper Bad Graphics Ghost, which is a fantastic name. Um, they've released a steady output of singles and EPs each year. Um, the group has always been transparent for their love of a wide variety of music from ministry to ice cube to napalm death, drawing on a wide range of influences can sometimes be difficult. The group has always used these different elements to craft something uniquely them. Um, I asked for hip hop. We got hip hop. This is a, I love the sound. It's a very, very, uh, it's a dirty sound. Yeah. Um, really good stuff. You can get all of their stuff and learn more about them at gorillaghost.bandcamp.com. And thanks to Tron Jovi for hooking us up with songs to play, including one song that has Cool Keith on it. Nice. Can't beat that. I love, I love Cool Keith. Cool Keith, Dr. Octagon, those types of things. Oh, like, yeah. We're aging ourselves again, which we have done throughout this podcast. It's but fine with me. It, it's fine. Whatever I Don't Healthcare is as good of a song title as I've heard <laughs> in a very long time. So, so yeah, definitely cool. Um, it's time for emails. Send us emails. Emails go to chinmusic at fangraphs.com. I read all of them. The rumor that I have an intern reading them is not true. <laughs> I do not have an intern. I read oh. all of them. Um, our first email comes from Dan. And Dan says, How are baseball analyst contributions measured within organizations? I feel like we hear about front office, player development, co- coaches and coordinators, scouts either getting laid off or not getting the contracts renewed all the time. I don't know if this goes on with R&D. Is this just such a new department within baseball teams that we don't know how to fully judge who is doing great work versus providing little value? I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. This is a great question, Dan. Um, and it's uh, there's not an easy answer. It's not a you know any sort of answer has a lot of leeway and and, and things going through it. Um, like R and D is such a wide ranging thing. There are R and D people who are um, like helping to evaluate players and having a voice um in the room if you will for for you know trades and free agent signings and and draft picks and and international players and all that good kind of stuff there are r&d people who are um i don't want to say just i don't want to minimize what they're doing who are not involved with that kind of thing and are maybe just building the user interface for the internal website um there are people who maybe just maintain the database there are people who are using data to ask questions from the base to answer questions from the baseball people hey we're looking at this and this and this guy can you look at this and help us out with that and 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 hopefully also provide some insight um and so people are being judged on different things really within an r d group um some stick around some don't i I think one thing that's consistent about r d that might not be the case with like scouts and 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 a hitting coach and things like that is like these r d people are all really like super super talented tech people um, most of them have advanced degrees um, and education, things that would like really scare you at the same time, because it's baseball, like they are tend to be overpaid to the industry standard for what they do. Um, they could go 
you know, they could go to Silicon Valley and make more money almost to a, almost to a person. And so that's a weird part. And a lot of them do. Um, and so that's like a weird aspect, like a hitting coach needs to work for a baseball team to make money. You know what I mean? He can't, sure. they are the ones who to fall out end up usually going to work at like an academy or doing private lessons and things like that. Like these people have a skill set that can go work elsewhere. And, and like the, that's the really kind of the biggest threat to losing some of these people is just that like they can make so much more money elsewhere and, 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 and chase things like stock options and startups and things like that. Um, and then the other aspect is just that so many R&D people are um, unknown mm. and kind of under the radar in the sense that there is an absolute army. I know one team that has more than 20 of them are R&D people who are not employees, R&D really? people who are freelancers, who wow. are under contract, who are providing... Um, a very specific thing and maybe doing 10 to 15 hours a week. Um, but yeah, there's one team that, yeah, that literally has more than 20 contracted R and D people doing, wow. doing somewhere between 10 and 30 hours a week. Um, and these are people who, um, those people want it that way. They're making a much better hourly rate, but they're also maybe doing it for two or three different parties. Maybe, yeah, I know one, I know of a person who does this for a living and they are currently under contract with a, um, a baseball team a hockey team and a uh, English premier league team. Ned Coletti. That's got it. <laughs> <laughs> Ned, Ned, Ned's big into R and sequel. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, so, 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 you know, that's, uh, so a lot of these people aren't being judged that, but they have the biggest, you know, they, they are judged. And obviously you, you know, you keep your best employees, but it is a challenge to figure out who's good and who's not. But, you know, to be honest with you, like the biggest, it's that one area where those people can go do exactly what they're doing. It might not be baseball, but they can still do that kind of programming, that kind of tech work elsewhere and make more money, which is not the case for 90% of a front office. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. How much do you think that the the fact that there is so much higher of a ceiling for these guys now, how yeah. much do you think that has changed it too? Because like, yeah, I think I, it helps. That's like something, you, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think you see, you know, we're starting to see it even, but you know, there are plenty of people like in the last three three or four years who have advanced um, up to AGM mm -hmm. who started in R&D. Um, wow. And the best, the, the, the R&D people I can think of who I think are really excellent are the people who also do have a passion for baseball. They don't, all, they don't, they don't all have that. And and for some of them, that's fine. Like, you know, I can think of one person who, um, you know, didn't know what baseball was until maybe five years ago. He's not from this country, right. um, but he's working for a team on a very specific role and he's fantastic. Right. Right. Um, but for, you know, for that person who, again, like is going to be the in the room person, um, you know, to find RDP person who also has like a passion for the game and also a real understanding for the game. Those guys are both rare and, but also super, super valuable. Nerds. Nerds. <laughs> um, our next email comes from Alan. Alan says, I'm watching Saturday night's Cardinals Padres game and home plate umpire Phil Cousy's strike zone is, well, I believe the scientific term is dog shit. <laughs> Do umpires get feedback mid-game on their zone, besides from angry players, managers, and fans, of course? Do they ever ask someone if they got a striker ball correct, or if they're too far in or away from the edges of the plate? No way there's a process already in place. I'm imagining a clubby running out to hand Angel Hernandez's nine-out report card, then Angel crumbling it up and spiking it off the poor guy's forehead. Could something like this help stave off the inevitable automatic strike zone? Um, Alan, you might be surprised. So. Um, 
no, no one gets in-game stuff, but after game, there is an umpire scorecard. There's an umpire grading system. MLB grades every umpire. They get immediate feedback after the game of how they did, period. Um, and as you probably do know, the, the ones who grade out the best over the course of the year are the ones who were chosen for postseason assignments. Um, so there is a grading system. It's not in-game. Um, and, and, you know, the, the fact that they have a union and unions are a good thing and go union, mm-hmm. um, is the reason why, you know, guys like Angel Hernandez stick around, um, cause those people there, they have, they have union protection, but you know, the best and the brightest do go to, um, you know, the, the postseason, but there is a grading system. There's an MLB graded out system and it's based on, on track man. Well, Hawkeye now, obviously it's based on Hawkeye and it's, it's, you know, they do get kind of their strike zone actually they're, they're shown what they missed. They're shown what they got right. Um, and hopefully they can improve upon it. They don't always do that. But like in general, I know we focus on how often guys get it wrong. In, in general, I think umpires do a, a, a damn good job. Really hard job. It's impossible. And, um, you know, and I, I, you end up, I, I think you end up appreciating how good big league umpires are if you scout and you go to a lot oh, of high school and college games oh, and, and, and minor league games <laughs> yeah. where they are unbelievably bad. You, so bad. It, it makes you really appreciate how good big league umps are. Um, and I got to tell you, like the, the, the whole robot ump thing, um, if you want it, that's fine. But I, you know, I don't, I haven't talked to anybody on, on the super pro robot ump side I, or people even developing the systems who have any sort of confidence in the system at this point who don't think this is still a little ways away. Yeah. I, so like, I, I will say that I am when it's ready pro uh, this, this robot for at least for calling balls and strikes, obviously. Um, uh-huh. But it's not ready for like, I, I have seen and have talked to too many scouts and talked to too many people that are like, dude, this thing screws up a lot. And when it screws up, there's really nothing you can do about it. Um, I think the thing I get frustrated with umpires is, yeah, there is that score sheet. And yes, it does lead to the, you get the best going to the postseason. So those guys are being rewarded. There just doesn't seem to be any accountability for these guys who suck ass. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really, it's, I'm with you. And that, that's, yeah, yeah. That's uh, the it, problem. And it, don't, it really, it, it's very problematic. I agree. Yeah. I think you should have to, yeah, I think if you get to for, that, if you get to that level, you need sure. to perform. You need to perform at a certain custom level to stay at that level. If that makes Absolute, sense. Absolutely. And again, it's it's very 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 difficult job, and it's even more difficult, I think, doing it pressure when we're at hopefully getting over this thing in in front of forty fifty thousand people. I can't imagine how hard that is to call a borderline ball or strike. Um, I just want to see more accountability and uh, see these guys who are consistently not good at it, <laughs> no longer not doing it. Like there right. are really good umpires and there are some real shitty ones. And maybe those guys just need to be left field, right field umpires. You know what I'm saying? Like if, yeah. if that's, if you want to keep them at their job, have them in left field and right field. And if they can't get that right, then Lord help them. Yeah, I do. I do think we need to have a system where, like, you need to be at a certain level to to sure. remain a major league umpire. And there are people Absolutely. who there are, and there are, and it's a small number, but there are a handful who are not at that level. Same, agree. Next comes from John. This fun question. John says, "What actually happens to a player who is DFA'd immediately after he gets the news? It's it seems like other transactions are more clear. A player who is sent down gets the news, packs up, goes to the airport, flies AAA. Player who's traded goes to his next team. Player who's released packs up and goes home." 
but a DFA seems to leave the player in a seven-day limbo. Can they work out? Can they take BPs? Can they throw bullpens? Do they travel back to their hometown? Do they stay in the MLB city hoping something works out? I'm thinking mostly of fringe guys who have not earned the rich-for-life money. The whole situation seems really awkward. Guess what, John? It's really awkward. Um, <laughs> teams do try their best to, um, lack of a better term, take care of the player. Sure. So, um, you know, if you DFA Smith, uh, when you DFA Smith, you might say, hey, man, we're DFAing you. Here's where we're at. This is with the roster crunch situation. We really hope to keep you like we we really hope to keep you. We hope no one claims you. And if it does, we're going to, you know, we hope you'll accept an assignment AAA. Sometimes they have our free agency. Sometimes they don't. Um, and the, but they'll say, you know, they'll tell them immediately, hey, like, you know, if you clear waivers, you're going to go to AAA. Are you cool with that? And if they say yes, you go, okay, hang out here. And they'll you know, team will continue to pay for their housing, their, their hotel room. Like, hang out here, um, and we'll see where we are in seven days. Um, they cannot, they're not on the team. They cannot go work out or take the, or throw bullpens at the stadium or anything like that. Um, but you'll tell them, hang out here. And other times, you know, the, if you DFA a player, you might tell him or, or his representative, hey, we're DFAing your player. Um, if he doesn't clear, we're going to release him. And so, like, he's welcome to go or, you know, when you when you do release a player, you do, you, you, you buy their plane ticket to wherever. Like, and you'll say that, hey, you know, we're DFAing him, but we're not going to keep him. Um, so if he wants to get out of here, just let us know where he wants to go and we'll, we'll arrange his flight. Um, so you can have players who are stuck in a limbo, but you try to communicate them. If you're, if you're going to keep trying to keep the player, you try to communicate them like we, we want to keep you. Um, and then, you know, if they get claimed, the new team takes care of the travel and things like that. So... I had a question for you. I was going to ask you about like the free agency thing. Like I, I was, I was guessing that there's at least some transparency that like you were, you, you should go elect free agency, like, um, or I guess it doesn't matter if you're just going to flat out release them. But I keep thinking about like, do you remember this Gregory Polanco thing that happened just a little bit ago? That was a like, weird one. That was, that's yeah, a that weird was one. A weird have one. you, have you heard, seen any type of situation like that before? Not really, not where it was like we're keeping them, them or not. That was yeah. that was the weird part where it kind of ha- it, it it happened twice. Like they changed their mind in the middle of it. That was the weird part. Yeah. Um. Like obviously you see it happen all the time with just a one time. Yeah, we're just not keeping this around. We're 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 cutting we're cutting things loose here. Um. But to like try to see if someone would claim them and then pop them out was very strange. Um, do you I, have, I have not seen that. Do you have a pretty good idea of what a player's DFA like? if that player is going to elect free agency or not, like, is that so a I mean, discussion that might happen before or it definitely, it happens before, even during like it, it. And sometimes like you're trying to sell it, like, right. Look, man, like you have the right to free agency. Um, the perfect example of this, cause this is what happens with every team nearly is, is the third catcher world. Right. Um, so like, you know, you sign that third catcher, um, you know, and I'll, let's pick a random third catcher, Brian holiday. Right. There you go. And Brian's been around the block, right? Yes, he has. And so Brian has outrights. And so Brian, you cannot just option Brian down. He has to clear. Um, and, and Brian has the right to, if you do send him down after he gets called up, to declare himself a free agent. He's earned that right and, and good for him. And he should have Absolutely. that. And he should have that right. Absolutely. But like, so, you know, your starting catcher gets hurt. You call up Brian Holiday in, in this, in this example, um, fictional example. Um, and then, your starting catcher gets healthy after three weeks and you bring it back up. You, you, you go to Brian and go, Hey, look, man, like, you know, starters healthy. We're going to send you back to AAA. We're going to DFA you. We would love to keep you around. We would love for you to be here. We think you've done a great job for us. Um, 
these, you know what, you're a catcher. You know what happens. Sure. Um, there's a solid chance you're going to come back. Um, and so, and often there is a middle ground there where um, Brian Holiday's representative will then call you and go, hey, Brian's going to accept this assignment if I can't find him a 40-man job. Right. Can I, can I now, with your permission, reach out to other teams to see if I can get him a 40-man job? And you go, yeah, of course. And they might get him a 40-man job somewhere, and then Brian's gone. But if he can't, he'll, then he accepts the assignment. So sometimes it's, it's almost negotiated during that window. I would wonder how much, like, because you don't, if you're a guy like, especially a veteran catcher, the Brian Holidays of the world, those, yeah. those, the Sandy Leones of the world, those guys who are going to uh, change organizations constantly, like, how much of it would come down to, like, how much you enjoy that AAA city? You know what I mean? Like, it's it would huge. Be, as, yeah, yeah, absolutely. As I would who, much rather accept, like, all due respect, you give me my choice of being in AAA in Nashville, in AAA and in Round Rock. I'm taking the Nashville assignment a lot sooner. Oh yeah, than and, I'm and, taking and, that Round Rock assignment. Right, and and you know, as someone who you know used to be in charge of negotiating minor league contracts, sure, um, it came up all the time with like minor league free agents, you know, like veteran free agents. Like it was all every time you start talking to them, at some point they just go, "Hey, where's your AAA team?" <laughs> you know, and, some, and sometimes it was good news, and sometimes it wasn't, and you know, and it's it's. You know, I can remember losing a player and they're like, no, the offers were exactly the same. And, and we think the opportunity was exactly the same. But, you know, this AAA team is, is in the South where he's from and your AAA team's in Fresno where he's not. Yeah, you know, I, I, and it's going to be better for his family. I would imagine that. And it's also like not all parks are equal. The, the fact to play in uh, a, oh, like yeah. a friendly hitting confine like Las Vegas and stuff like that. It, it's, it's interesting. It isn't something I would first think of if I was a minor league free agent. It comes, uh, yeah, but, but definitely comes but up. Where where you're going to be playing? That I think yeah, that and especially for these happens. vets, like you know, so many of them are, are married and have children, and the mm-hmm. and and for the summer, the wife and the children are going to join them. And you know, would you rather be in Nashville or Fresno? <laughs> you know, Tough nothing ball. wrong with Fresno. You know, <laughs> I've, I've had good times in Fresno, but yeah, you'd rather be in Nashville. I've had too many good times in Fresno. The, uh, <laughs> Fresno and the Cal League. I've had way. Too many good times. I do remember my very first scouting trip in the Cal League sent out a tweet asking for like recommendations on like where to stay and stuff like that. And uh, a scout who uh, is currently with, I want to say the Diamondbacks still, um, just wrote back, don't. (laughs) (laughs) Just to find out, don't. I can find somewhere good to eat in any town, damn it. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, our final email, I added, added a late one, comes from Josh. And Josh asks, what is your favorite shitty music? Oh. Something that you would be embarrassed to admit liking if you actually gave a damn about what other people thought. I have an answer. I have a okay. couple answers. Okay. Answer one is Lana Del Rey. Okay. I think I think your last couple albums are kind of amazing. Yeah, I, and my I, other, and my other weakness would be like bad poppy '80s new wave. Like, like we can sit there. Uh, yeah, we went grocery shopping yesterday, and that's what they're playing at the, at the Hy-Vee in DeKalb, Illinois. And 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 my wife was just uh, shocked and amazed at my ability to sing along, one hundred percent lyrically accurate, to Mirror Man by the Human League. Um, <laughs> Yeah, these are the these are the things. I, so the eighties eighties poppy new wave, uh, especially like electronically stuff, 
And like everyone go, oh, like New Order's cool. Yeah, they are cool. I'm talking about the Human League. I'm talking about Heaven <laughs> 17. I'm talking about shit like that. I will listen to that and think that's good. Um, what's your favorite shitty music, Chris? Oh, boy, this is a tough one. Um, well, I'll say this. Like, I, it's not – it's weird for me to call it shitty. I know a lot of people aren't big on, like, Taylor Swift and, like, I'll say Olivia Rodrigo, even though her album is getting, like, rave reviews. This yeah. is something that, like – I, I, I haven't heard a single song from it, but I know people are crazy about but it. But thir- not the most common thing for a 38-year-old white male to be into. But they're great. Like, I – I like a little bit of everything as long as the only type of music I don't like is music that I can immediately feel is pretentious. And it's why the national are my least favorite band. The immediate, <laughs> like if a band had a punchable face, the national would have a punchable face to me. Just like immediately hearing that dude sing in a voice that is off putting to me and just a real like really would wants to be the Smith so fucking bad type of vibe to it. Like that's the only music I don't like is when they are, when they think their shit doesn't stink. That's the only thing I don't like, like, cause I can take almost everything else. I can't help but remember um, back on the days when you were uh, part of, uh, part of Facebook, listening, look at reading your comments to Ian Miller about some of the stuff <laughs> that he would listen to and just being like, what the fuck is wrong with you? No one and loves was, music more than Ian Miller. It's, just ever so I go, man, listen to, the, listening to the third bread album. Amazing. <laughs> the passion is undeniable, yes. but I also makes me wonder if he maybe struggles to distinct <laughs> a little bit. Like uh, the biggest Carly Rae Jepsen fan in the entire world. No might question. Be Ian Miller. Yeah. Yes. He's well, he's his own thing. Yes. He um, is. So that's it for emails. Send us emails. Is that about baseball? Send us about shitty music. Send us to it about sumo. You into sumo, Chris? Nope, but I appreciate the hell out of it. Like, uh, like every big tournament going on right now. Every time you, I see you post clips and stuff like that, I, I will go go take a look at it. I, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, my my fascin your fascination with sumo reminds me of my fascination with handball. Like, I can't get wait. You do handball? handball? Oh, I love handball. Like that is such. And it pisses me off that we're not good at it because we should be freaking great at it. We should be, you know, in cool runnings where they take the runners and make them bobsled dudes. We should be taking the guys who could only throw 93 and making them handball guys because so we who, could like, dominate at this sport. Who are the world powerhouses in handball? Pretty much all of Europe. France, Belgium, Hungary, those type of guys. Germany is very good at it. They are – they dominate. And, like, we have – I actually got followed by a bunch of like team handball like accounts when I tweeted my <laughs> love for it, but like we, we're not good at it. We I don't think we've come even close to like Olympic qualifying for the last couple of years. Which is there is, pro handball in Europe? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I um, there's certainly leagues. I mean, so yeah, there's got to be some sort of professional aspect to it. But I think it's such a fun. It's everything that I like about hockey and soccer. But overhand throwing. So it's like everything that I like about those sports. Added with that on top, it is so good. And every Olympics, like, you know how everybody gets really into curling, like, during the Winter during Olympics? During the Winter, yeah, sure. Yeah. I, and I, don't get me wrong. I like it, too, especially listening to the yas, yas, that type of screaming type thing. About, it's even funner when it's in a different language. Um, but that's how I get about handball, man. Like, I, I set my... 
a, a good NBC boy. I was watching Peacock and watching all of those channels <laughs> to make sure I got as much handball as I could. Do you get Peacock for free? I do get Peacock for free. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure. And so. I won't tell anybody what I pay for cable and internet because they would be very disappointed. Oh, that's but right. I, good. good, good. I, 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 no, I I'm glad you too. So it's, it's the email's over. Send us an email. It's time to catch up with Chris. Chris, you work for NBC, which is why you get Peacock for free. Yes, that is correct. NBC Sports Edge, uh, formerly Roto World, made the company name change a little over a year ago now. Um, it's it's great. We've got lots of really cool stuff to check out and uh, couldn't be happier. And you cover baseball, but you also do college football stuff. I do college football stuff as well. Yep, I do mostly. Used to do some news type stuff with them and writing articles and stuff like that. But we've got actual people who uh, are not that I don't pay attention to it, but we have actual people who they're their main focus is college football and they should be the people who are writing the articles and stuff. So it's right, mostly college, just game day stuff. Yeah. College football is immensely stupid sport. <laughs> um, so, you know, you said, you said that, you know, it used to be Roto world, right? Yep. So obviously big fantasy aspect to this. And Absolutely. I know you've always been a big fancy guy. Um, but you also, uh, if you've, you know, if you follow Chris on Twitter, you'll know this about him. And if, if you don't follow Chris on Twitter, you should. And he is at the, uh, Crawford underscore M I L B um, is you do the baseball card thing. Yeah. And yeah. so I, you know, I clicked baseball cards as a kid in, 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 you know, years that began with a one and a nine. Um, <laughs> so, but like the whole, the whole collecting industry, the whole card industry, be it baseball or be it, you know, and I know this from, you know, tangential video games, like, like Pokemon cards, Oh, it has gotten really weird, right? Huge. It's huge. It like so, like like it, stores saying we're not selling them anymore because it's yeah. too violent. Yeah, Target and Walmart stopped selling cards in their stores because people it was were too disruptive. Fights over them, and some of this is that. So it's humanity's fault for sucking. Like that's one of the reasons for these fighting things, but also what they've done with these. Um, uh, these card things is they make there's hobby exclusive and there's retail exclusive. So there are certain cards that you can only get from Target and Walmart. Like those are the only way that you can get those cards other than buying them on eBay for exorb a significantly higher so price we're, than they're being we're, sold. As opposed to be buying them from like the baseball card store or from so like. That's the baseball card store. That's the hobby stuff. The, they okay. get the hobby stuff. So, but what you'll see is like, your local card shop will probably, when they could, go into Target and maybe buy that and then sell it um, for a much higher price than they bought it for. But they do first go show up when they were doing this on the Target and uh, Walmart shelves and they were buying them. But now the only way you can get them is online and they've gotten more expensive. Like a, a blaster box is one of the things that they call them. It's just sounds like a horrible name for a thing, but used to be like 10 to 12 bucks. Now 20 bucks. It's, it's just exploded. The prices have. And is, is the, is it because the resale market for them is so much like you do, so, like if you luck out, if you win the lottery yeah. and, and you get the Juan Soto card with the piece of his uniform and a gold yeah. coin that, yeah. that can go, you can go crazy with that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, that's the thing is there's, one of the things that people don't get, I actually talked to David Roth about this on the podcast because 
David Roth used to you uh, write for tops. He used to do yeah. uh, that type of stuff. And uh, that was a fun conversation that made me feel really stupid. David Roth is just so much smarter than me that it not, right. no disrespect to you, Kevin, you're a lot smarter no, than me David, too, but the, David, David Roth is David makes just, me feel dumb just a little bit, little different level, but cards are a lot different than they were in the nineties when they were these mass produced pieces of cardboard where like uh, the King Griffey Jr. rookie card, the thing that everybody wanted. And uh, it's my one of my prized possessions, too, because of nostalgia. But there were hundreds of thousands of that card made. It is not a difficult. It still could be an expensive one because it's you know, just somebody, not, it's just not it's not actually scarce. It's not scarce at all. But what they have realized is Tops and Panini and then now Fanatics, when they have control of the industry in a few years, um, they have realized less is more that you can make. Um, these cards still cost a lot of money and still relatively accessible to people. But there are things like that are one of one that are one of five. I'll, I'll be honest with you. We're, we're going to have to talk about that egg ball again. I got a card. Uh, it's a Jalen Hurts, who is the starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. It has an actual gold bar in the card. There is a literal piece of gold inside of the card that uh-huh. I, I just signed consignment for. They're putting it up for auction on November first. The starting bid is a thousand bucks. Like that's so, what, and you just you just pulled this out of a pack. I pulled it out of a pack. Actually, uh, somebody else pulled it out of a pack for me. I did a a card break, a personal is what they call them, and they opened it up, and in that thing was a card that had a literal gold bar inside of it. This Jalen Hurts one of one. But the, the so long I, story. No, sh- I, I, no I know we're gonna we're gonna we're, you're not shorting the story. Okay. No, uh, so you got this football card. You said you put it on consignment. So someone else is going to sell it. It's like it's like you're putting up a piece piece of fine art. Someone else yeah. is going to sell this, and they'll I, I assume they'll take a commission from from them handling they, the sale. It, they will. It, I'll say I won't say exactly what it is, but I will say that it is half of what eBay charges to sell it. Okay. And, so they'll get they'll get their they'll get the, a small percentage of the sale, and mm-hmm. you'll get the rest. And I will get the rest. Yep. Yeah. That they. They will get the consignment fee and they will get, I believe it's a 20% tax, but that doesn't get charged to me. That's just something. So uh, right, if somebody buys it's like an auction tax, exactly. It's, it's like an auction task. It's, it's their, um, it's their way to actually make money out of what they're doing. Cause 6% right. of, you know, it's not nothing, especially, I believe I saw a LeBron James card sell for 1.046 million from that website a couple of weeks ago a batman uh uh the first edition that got graded an eight out of ten which is exceptionally good because you i don't know if you read those old comics they were made out of just the worst fucking paper entire world they just basically got destroyed sold for like a million and a half dollars like these these part of it is because i think we have way too much money and part of it is because like the boredom of the pandemic has really that's what i wanted to ask you like what yeah. happened here like yeah why, that's... why did because it's it's happening with all sorts of things. it's happening like there are like rare video games sure that used to sell for thousands of dollars that are yeah. selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars now <laughs> yeah I, I i looked and saw in that same auction a super mario 64 yeah. uh sold Six for figures. like so, sold for yeah and you know, I I would love to go as much fun as I had playing Super Mario <laughs> Mario sixty four. If I could go back in time and tell sixteen year old Chris Crawford, Not, don't uh, open that box, don't touch that <laughs> fucking box, dude, because it could be worth close to a million dollars. I I could go play Super Mario sixty four at a friend's house or something like that. Um, 
but yeah, I think that's what part of it is, is that just like, especially with sports cards and stuff that it's, and it's been rising. Like don't there, it's not just all of a, uh, an all of a sudden thing. I think it became more prominent because right. it was easier to find that in the news section when there's zero box scores or anything like that. But that's certainly what happened with me is like, you know, I, I was bored out of my flipping mind. I am a, uh, a solo person. I don't have a, uh, significant other i don't have any kids i have three dogs who you know i try to have conversations with but they're pretty one-sided so i got you know i was bored so i i started looking at this card stuff and the thing for me is like we were talking about earlier it's the fact that these are like nice stuff like this is not anymore that thing like you see in sandlot a horrible movie um where you see these cards like being put in like spokes and stuff like that or they're being used right. as like uh, a bookmark these are nice cards sometimes they're acetate sometimes they are actual metal cards it's nice stuff that they're making now so mm -hmm. i think people maybe need to make that adjustment to it a little bit but at the same time it is also absolutely cuckoo banana pants oh i should buy it well i'd, I'd say i should buy a pack but like i can think like i probably bought three packs of baseball cards the last eight years and every time wow. it was just because i was at target and i went oh, i'm gonna get a pack of baseball cards just to see what i get <laughs> oh sure. chris carter you know nice yeah. hey there you go you know. um is, is it still the case where like it's all about the rookie card yes the, okay. so the rookie card and actually something for baseball that has become even bigger than it used to be is the first bowman card that mm -hmm. very first card where they become um like that that first time that they're in the bowman set is a very big one like the the first Vlad, vladdy jr cards that it kept, some of them are like number to five have a chance to be million dollar cards someday same for Nando, right. fernando tatis the mike and trouts it, are already going for that type of money wow yeah and so so that's that's the hobby work-wise um like would you call your work fantasy oriented yeah 100 percent. yeah absolutely um it's mostly um, it used to be mostly prospect stuff. Right. Now it's that's how that's how you and I got to know each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 probably more 50-50 now. Like I do a lot of lists, and I will do minor league updates on games during the regular season um, mm -hmm. to, to, of prospects, and I try to do guys that are a little further, like because like me updating you that Adley Rutschman went three for five with a homer. Okay, everybody knows who Adley Rutschman is and he's already been rostered in your dynasty league a long ass time ago. But if I can find like the guys who are performing well, because you know, the stats do matter at least a little bit. Um, they, those, those type of guys, I like to do that, but do a lot of game coverage, um, do new stuff, uh, aggregate, um, put my spin on like what type of news, but yeah, it's mostly, fantasy related, which is weird. Um, it's not what I was necessarily setting out to do. I wanted to be a baseball scout. That's the, the thing I wanted to do. And the nice thing here is it's the chance to be the hermit crab um, and still do some scouting stuff a lot less because I just don't have time to go to the games and stuff like that, but get to watch a lot of videos, still get to talk to scouts, still get to talk to front office members. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a nice combination of of both it's certainly not what i set out to do but like you know what most people don't end up doing what they set out to do and a lot of people still can love it and or Absolutely. at least tolerate it and i would say that would be the case for me yeah I used to, it's, you're working in baseball you know it's, yeah. it's, you, you know you get paid to watch baseball that's not a bad yeah. deal yeah absolutely you know, you know we're, we're doing quite well yeah um, hey, um you know uh i was was wondering if i should even bring this up but yeah, I do believe that somebody may have interviewed me 
to work for uh one you did, would. yes. Heck would. Yeah, so you this, interviewed with so, the Houston Astros. That's right. So this is funny. This is the third time I've heard Kevin's voice in my voice. The first time was when um, he was talking to me about the possibility of joining. The second time was me getting advice whether or not I should go work at Baseball Prospectus. And the third time is this podcast. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, weird, man. Life's always weird. Uh, it really is. Speaking of weird, it's time for a moment of culture. Nice. What do you got? Okay, so those of you who have even kind of heard of me know I'm a big movie guy. And uh, a movie that I wanted to see in theaters, but I'm just not comfortable not going doing into it a yet. Movie. Not, I'm just not comfortable with it yet. So I just happened to turn on HBO at about one o'clock in the morning. It must've been a little bit before that because I was able to check the whole movie. But I caught, I didn't realize it already come out onto streaming, but it's a movie called Shiva Baby and it is outstanding. So I'll tell you what Shiva Baby is about. It's very odd premise. Uh, it's about a, a woman who is right around the college years, maybe a little bit after. Um, it's kind of leading a double life where she is kind of, figuring out what she wants to do, but she is also uh, a sugar baby. And one, she has one particular client um, that uh, she found on a sugar daddy uh, website. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I need to explain what a sugar baby and sugar daddy is. I don't is, think but so. Yeah, anyway. Um, a man day, much older than her gives her money. Gives her money, yes. Because um, she's very pretty. And she, that and is young. correct. Yes. And so one day after... Um, they have a rendezvous. Uh, the movie mostly takes place in real time. She goes to a shiva, um, which is a the basically the Jewish um, morning morning awake. It's a seven day thing, but there's always like a one day, as far as I understand it, um, where basically there's everybody gets together and at this shiva, the sugar daddy is there. And so is his her ex-girlfriend who does not know about her sugar daddy thing. And it basically oh, okay. takes place in real time from that point on. Um, it's only 77 minutes long. And thank goodness it isn't any longer because it is so stress, stress it's a, city. It's so stressful. Like and the movie is scored like a horror film. You know, those those blaring keynotes like and things as yeah, tension. Yeah, yeah. It's more horror, honestly, than comedy without anything actually scary happening. But you have this build, and the actors are terrific. Uh, Fred Alamade plays her dad, and he is just unbelievably a uh, funny dude. Fred Malamade, excuse me. Um, so good. Um, mostly unknowns who have done a lot of TV stuff, but it is 77 minutes of just uncomfortable, and then you're laughing. Sometimes you're laughing just to relieve stress, and then sometimes you're laughing just because it's just laugh-out-loud funny. It's gotten terrific reviews if you care about that. Um, cannot recommend it enough especially the fact that it's only 77 minutes long like don't get me long wrong i have done a lot of long ass movies i can appreciate the two hour and 45 minute to three and a half hour movie with the best of them but it is nice in this day and age to get something that is short and to the point and kind of complete the story and this movie kind of does uh, a full uh understanding of it. it it won't be for everyone especially if you are 
someone who doesn't deal with uh, claustrophobia well. It's if, if they, <laughs> they pull in close, like like real close on these shots, and there are just some real awkward moments. One of them, without be doing a spoiler thing, uh, one of them involves the fact that she can't find her phone, and it is as scary and nerve-wracking <laughs> a moment as I think I've seen in a long time. It is available on demand, I think, on HBO Max, or it's just playing on one of those premium things. If you do, you yeah, have a chance to see it in the big screen, but uh, uh, it's terrific. I'm going to talk about a movie that is 115 minutes long. Nice. Um, and it's called November. So um, I am not on Facebook. My wife is on Facebook. Um, but she uses Facebook mostly for groups. Like She doesn't spend a whole lot of time looking at... Uh, ex-people in high school talking about how the vaccine has microchips in it and stuff like that she um you know groups like art she's in a a, a group that uh, does like art identification and evaluation which is something that she has a passion for and other things and she's in this weird movie group where people talk about weird movies and and this movie was talked about and its movie is called november it is from 2017 um and it was nominated for best foreign language film uh it is from estonia and it is a black and white fantasy film that takes place um, in the 19th century in Estonia. And it is this um, absolutely fantastic. It's beautiful, first of all. Black and white, like super amazing lighting. It looks like a Bergman film at times. Um, and it's it's in a place that does have um, fantasy things. They have, they have these things called crafts, which are kind of like a golem, but like you can make a, you can make a living thing out of in, out of inorganic material. Um, and then get a soul for it and it'll do things for you. Um, you know, there is the, 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 there is a, the plague is there. There are ghosts, like the dead come back and talk to people. Um, and there are aspects to it that, um, after reading later, I didn't get that, you know, people talk about, (laughs) Margaret read, my wife read stuff about like people from Estonia talking about how funny this part was, how funny this part (laughs) was. And they weren't funny to us because we didn't understand Estonian history and politics sure you know and 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 i guess it, at times it really is kind of a like a real satire on some of those things that we didn't get and it was uh, which is fine if you don't get it you'll still you'll be just fine in this one but size is this fantastical story about um in some ways unrequited love but it has all these amazing fantastic characters and and again remarkable visuals and sound it's a beautiful beautiful thing um highly recommend it and it is not it was one of those things where um like we we pay for so many streaming services as is the rest of the world, right? Yeah. And um, you know, Margaret said, "Can you see if this looks really interesting? Can you see if this is streaming anywhere?" And it wasn't. And um, you know, and we you know we watched the, a trailer for it like on YouTube, um, and then it's like, oh, we, should, we I really want to see it. And we just you know we just splurged spent four bucks, right? Sure. You know, at the Apple Store and rented it. Um, so if you want to get it, you got to rent it. I think it's on uh, what's that other story? Voodoo or whatever. But we okay. we, we did it through an Apple TV and. Um, it's again November Estonian film from 2017. I, it was such a it was it was absolutely enthralling. That sounds really interesting. I remember the name just because there was some controversy that it wasn't one of the nominees for best foreign language. I think like Peter Travers was somebody who said, "Oh really? That should have should have gotten in there." Because um, I, I do remember um, Keith and I for when we had the time we would do an Oscar podcast where we talked about. Uh, oh, okay. the nominees and stuff like that and uh, a movie called a fantastic fantastic woman that year one but like uh, that sounds really really interesting I think I'm, I'm I think I'm willing to spend the four dollars but uh, yeah did you see did you see that movie um the witch 
I did. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Some of those vibes a little bit at times. Sure. Yeah. I, I, re- I really like the witch. Uh, so, so did I. When, when you were first describing it, um, uh, it kind of almost had like a little bit of a midsummer, uh, uh, vibe to it, but it yeah, sounds, I mean, obviously sounds... that's taking place in pseudo modern times, but yeah, sure. Yeah. And I, I love that movie. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I would, it's funny. I, I read a review about that movie, um, from, uh, Alonzo Duralde who writes for the rap and, uh, he mentioned that the director's cut is even better because it's rare that this is true about a director's cut because we talked about pretentious a little bit. Usually they are super pretentious with this stuff, but he said the movie actually flows much better with the director's cut. And I think that makes a little more sense because yeah. there are times where that movie where I'm kind of like, all right, it let's takes go. hard right turns here. Though. Yeah, yeah. It, it does too. That's for sure as well. So like maybe a little bit better flow, but I love that movie. Those are the type of like, horror movies so to speak that i that i like that yeah those, it's more those. of a stress movie yeah i don't i don't like no one's jumping ju- out i hate the jump like i couldn't <laughs> I, I hate even mentioning this and if anybody finds out about this on twitter and tries to send this to me i will block the fuck out of you but that fucking chucky doll i couldn't go into <laughs> i couldn't go into movie theaters i, I or, and i couldn't go into uh video stores because that thing scared me so fucking much that stupid fucking doll and then finding out that they have a tv show even as a 38 year old i'm like what am you're i gonna have on, to deal just, with this now am i gonna out on to... chucky yeah oh my god i hate that stupid it's funny because it's the voice is brad dorif who's like one of my favorite actors but like <laughs> if i ever meet brad dorif i'm gonna be like dude you ruined my childhood <laughs> <sighs> Well, Chris, I think we're done here. <laughs> I knew we would end on that note. I mean, like, that, that was the most obvious way to end a podcast is talking about a stupid horror movie that won't die. If you want to send Chris tweets of Chucky, he is at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. <laughs> you can also find him stuff at uh, NBC Sports Edge. Is there anything else I need to plug, Christopher? No, that's going to be it. Other than, you know, circling the bases podcast, I... Uh, We'll we'll probably talk after this, but I I would love to get uh, Mr. Kevin Goldstein to come on that podcast. Please. I can I can give him a call see if he'll do it. Thanks. Um, <laughs> but uh, thanks for wasting your afternoon with me. It was my pleasure. And thanks to everybody for listening. And we'll talk to you again next week. This should be played at high vol high volume, preferably. In a, in, a, in a residential area, area. Been over 15 years, I'm still on my ignis shit. I'm that gnarly nigga, long as my skin still got pigment, bitch. It's evident the melanin significant and relevant. It's decadent, my regiment. They don't share my sentiments. Just look at the president, spewing all his excrement. Praise the devil, living sinners. I rise from the tenements. I've been by my Afro sheens since Doughboy's way with triple beams. Bad graphics, motherfucker. Northside racing. Know what I mean? Martin had a dream. I be having nightmares about the police niggas in the scene. Game is Sharknado. These guppies pop like Terry. I don't think that they know. They can't afford the therapy. I'ma be just where I be and I be dropping some meter. Disrespect the teacher, bitch. I ain't doing a feature. Take them fistfuls of cash, shove them all up in your ass. Can't even break up grass on your record. That shit was trash, nigga. UPS is hiring. Leave a message at the tone and they'll call you back. Hello. We just heard your record.
Difficult to market. No, fuck that. We don't do that shit, man. What are you doing? Oh my god, no! Damn. 